Blog Talk Radio. You know, happiness is a dimension of our own nature. Happiness, from a spiritual point of view, is not based on conditions or circumstances. Innately, we're happy beings. We're spiritual beings. So that means that happiness and joy are already built within. And as we're growing spiritually, we are removing filters from seeing or feeling the happiness that's already there. When we're somewhat blocked, happiness is conditioned. We say, well, I got a new car, therefore I'm happy. Or this person didn't call me back, therefore I'm unhappy. And so it's conditioned-based. But as we mature spiritually and we begin to touch into our real nature and being, we notice that we're happy regardless of what's going on. Something bad happens, we don't like it, but the happiness is still there. Uh, someone doesn't call us back, some plan doesn't work out, we don't like it, but the happiness is still there. So that's a sign of spiritual maturity. So can we define happiness as the way to transform every emotion and transform it in, to feel something right? Yes, you, you can uh, basically, you, you discover your happiness when you're able to see that in every circumstance, there is possibility, there's potential, and there's an energy behind it pushing you to a greater expression of, of, of who and what you really are. People become frustrated and unhappy if they feel there's no way out, if they feel that every road is blocked. But in reality, with a capital R, there's no such world. No world like that exists. We're surrounded by infinite possibilities. And so, with a shift of perception and attitude, you begin to see those possibilities. And those possibilities uh, invite us uh, to activate potential within us. Uh, the gifts and talents within us that are latent, the possibilities invite us to activate, to discover and activate those, those possibilities. So again, then happiness would be us uh, becoming more ourselves. That'd be a very blissful state. So it doesn't deny that bad things happen in the world. It doesn't deny that people die. People die on us. You know, people leave. Jobs change. It doesn't deny that. But when we come to an understanding that even with all the changes that are going on in the phenomenal world, there's still something about us that's permanent. There's something about us that's forever. And that part of us that's forever is spiritual, which means it never, it never began and it will never end. And as we become more and more identified with that, identified not just in, with a belief system, but identified that with some kind of spiritual practice, some kind of focus, some kind of intention, then our life takes on a whole different, a whole different vibration. How we can overcome the fear of rejection? Rejection is paying too much attention. The fear of rejection is paying too much attention to what other people are thinking about you and other, what other people are thinking about what you're thinking about. And people live in that kind of a bubble. I wonder if that person likes me. I wonder if this person appreciates me. And those are, uh, that's the wrong mode of being in the world. You have to think about what the universe thinks about you. And the universe thinks you're important. The, the, whatever name you want to use, you can say the universe, you can say the cosmos, you can say God, whatever. What, what, is, what does the universe think of you? And because you were created, you have meaning, you are important, you're worthy, you're worthwhile, because you weren't made accidentally. You weren't just accidentally made. 
nature didn't just come together and accidentally make you. You know, uh, there was a perfect idea behind you with c complete potential and possibility uh, to be activated. So you have to begin to think about, we all have to begin to think about, how does the universe think about me? Not how does that person over there think about me? Not how those group of people over there think about me. That's a waste of my time. Then I start to people please. I start to do things to make them like me, and, and, which may take away from my mission, may take away from my authenticity. It may take away from my, my powers, because I'm thinking about what they're thinking about. And they're thinking about what I'm thinking about. Everybody's thinking about what other people are thinking about what they're thinking about. <laughs> no. And what difference do you, do you see between pay attention to others yes. and learn from feedback of others? Yeah. yeah, you can learn from feedback from others. I'm not overly concerned about what others are thinking about me because I'm, I'm living my passion and my purpose and my intention. And then life gives me feedback. If, if I'm being stubborn in some area, then, then, then there'll be some feedback from either life itself or from people. If, if I'm being arrogant, you'll get the feedback. If you're being wishy-washy, you get the feedback. So you learn how to pay attention. And, you know, as, you, as you mature and become more comfortable with yourself, you're able to take criticism. And what happens is uh, you start paying, uh, you start seeing, what, 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 they're called the two imposters, criticism and praise. There are people that praise you and people that criticize you. But after a while, you don't really care about either one of them. They're called imposters. And so if somebody's criticizing you and saying, oh, you don't know what you're talking about, you know, shut up, whatever, <laughs> you, 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 you don't care. It's like, thank you for your feedback, <laughs> you know. And if somebody says, oh, you're the greatest, you're the greatest, you, 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 you're the best, you say, thank you, for your, thank you for your feedback. You start treating both the same because you're not trying to get something from the people. You're giving a gift to the people. You're getting your information and your energy directly from the life force, you see. You're getting fed by life. Life is giving you information, and you're sharing it. And if people don't want it, and they say, ah, it's a bunch of baloney, thank you. I won't give it to you, you know. And if somebody says, I want it, thank you. Here it is. But after a while, praise and criticism, you don't really care because you're... you're you're becoming so in tune inside of yourself. Yeah. It's, like, it's like if you are a mathematician and you know that 10 plus 10 is 20. You know it. It's not an opinion. You know it. And you stand in front of a group and you start to do your math and somebody says, I don't believe that. What are you going to do? You're going to say, okay, thank you. You know, you know 10 plus 10 is 20. You say, okay, thank you very much. <laughs> Good example. They're giving you feedback where you need to grow. Because when you get out here as a public figure, People talk about you. If you do really good, they talk about you more. If you do really, really good, they talk about you really, really more. It, it yeah. goes with scale. And yeah. then you learn this. Um, mediocrity attacks excellence all the time. And so if you're seeking to live a, an excellent life, those who are, have agreement with mediocrity, they attack you because you're making them uncomfortable. They want to stay small, so they attack people who are trying to do big things. Let's talk about the law of attraction. According to you, how we can use the law of attraction? Well, the, the basic, first start with the basics. The basic law is what you chronically think about is what you bring about in your experience. A thought is a unit of mental energy. Energy can never be created or destroyed 
energy just keeps changing itself into higher or lower expressions. So if you're constantly thinking negative, you know, uh, life is hard and, and then you die. There's not enough good jobs around. Uh, there's no... Decrease crisis. Yeah, there's, everything is working. Then you, your, your body temple gets that message. The cells of your, of your body begin to hear that. It starts to produce, produce toxic chemicals. Your immune system starts to become unhinged, starts to be, be impaired. Your thinking starts to go down because of the toxic chemicals. And you start to bring about what you're thinking about. You become sick, uh, not as much energy, so therefore your opportunities are depleted. Uh, your energy is down, critical thinking goes down. And then you start to bring about that negativity that you're describing. But you change it around and you begin to say, you know, I'm surrounded uh, by opportunities. Life is good. Everything is working together for my good. I, 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 I'm surrounded by infinite opportunities. Uh, prosperity is right here. And then what happens, when you start to say that, your mood is lifted, tonic chemicals and endorphins start to go through the body, starts to amplify your immune system, your thinking becomes more clearer, you start to see life differently, opportunities, you start to see opportunities that you couldn't see before, possibilities open up that you didn't even know about because your attitude has changed, and what looks like the law of attraction is simply you lifting your vibration so that you can see the potential that's here. And then we call it the law of attraction, but what it really is, I call it the law, of, the law of radiation, the law of emergence. Because what you're doing is allowing that which is within you to come out and, and to radiate and to emerge and to express. And then in the physical form, good things happen. And it looks like it's a, you're attracting it, but what's really happening is you're radiating it. And what you're radiating is becoming visible.
to do. What does that mean? Go get something. You already got it. El Fatah. Open is your work. The becoming is your work. Everything you need, you got it. If somebody says, be ye perfect, you'd have to already be perfect because you can't put pieces together to make perfect those apart. Perfect is one. Undivided. Unbroken. Complete. Well, brother, let me tell you something. You already got it. You already are it. You just don't know it. And what I mean is this thing here does not know it is perfect. It keeps telling you you're making mistakes. You don't know what you're doing. You can't do that. You don't know how to do that. I'm poor. I ain't got. I don't know what. That ain't where the mind of Christ works. But that's what you want to quiet in your mind. And put, I can. I know how. I am. 
I so desire. For whatever it is you so desire, you decree it, declare it, and proclaim it. That's how you get it. Because that's how you got everything else you got. As to whether you did it consciously or subconsciously. It doesn't matter. You have three levels of mind. The super, the conscious, and the subconscious. And you think on all three of them. It's what you're thinking that makes the difference. If your subconscious keeps making you make mistakes, it's because you keep telling it to do so. And as long as you tell your mind it's broken, it's going to behave like a broken mind. It's going to keep you poor, hungry, and scared. That's imperfect. Turn that shit around. I am G-O-D right now. I am master, able, and noble right now. That's your prayer for transforming yourself to G-O-D. And don't accept anything less than that. Stop being a servant. Stop groveling in your prayers. Claim your divinity. Claim your godhood. Claim the knowledge of the universe. Claim your wealth. Noble Drew Ali told the Moors, each and every one of you, supposed to inherit a million dollars. And he said that in 1920-something. How many millionaires we got now? Hell, you can't... What do you mean, not many? We got so many, we can't even count them, man. Where are you living at? I'm trying to tell you something. You have to get you past poverty with this. Quit thinking poor. Quit thinking I don't have it. I don't... I can't get it. Don't look up and see somebody else hit the numbers for $20 million and they tell yourself, I, I can't, I, I, I ain't. I. What the hell are you talking about? Why can't you turn around and tell yourself just the opposite? I didn't win $20 million. That's what the sister did when she opened up the Bible and the Spirit told her to read those verses in that chapter. And then when she got ready to close the book, the Spirit told her, don't close that book. Write them numbers down. <laughs> and, 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 and carried him to the wind. Wait a minute, I'm talking about right here in New York. A black woman who used to scrub floors for a living. Six million dollars that weekend. She ain't scrubbing nobody's damn floors no more. You know what I'm saying? You know? Quit reaching for the bottom. And the money's on top. Real money. And, and don't ask God for some money. Because a penny is money, and he'll give you a penny if you ask for a penny. You know what I'm saying? Quit asking for cheap shit. <laughs> damn supermarket full of steaks. You go in there and buy some damn beans and rice. What is you doing? You know what I'm saying? Get up here. Why is it you don't think you're supposed to live a wonderful, pleasant, prosperous life. Who told you you weren't supposed to do that? Nobody but you. Well, quit doing that. Yeah, quit going for the okey-doke. It's okey-doke. I'm poor. It's okey-doke. 
I ain't got shit. It's okie doke. You know, I'm sick. It's okie doke. I don't know shit. It's okie doke. <laughs> Quit going for okie doke. You hear me? Now I'm talking to your spirit. Because that's what's going to get you out of poverty. And that's what's going to get you out of hell. Is the God within yourself. That's the one you're looking for. That's your best friend. And that's the only one will be with you forever. When Jesus goes somewhere else, that God will still be there. You sure enough want to make him and her your best friend. A God that will always tell you the truth. Only if you will always listen. When you stop listening, everybody starts telling you a lie. Because that's what you're looking for. When you stop listening to your own truth, take the responsibility of being God. How do you get there? One way, and one way only. By desire. You have to want to be God. You can't get there no other way. Psychological assumption automatically provides the means to fulfill the dream desire is the law of mind in action. The psychological assumption automatically provides the means to fulfill the dream desire. If you do not have the desire to become God, you are not going to become God, certainly not by accident. That's a car running over you, not God. You have to have it in here. If you want to be a servant, that's already in there. That's easy. Upgrade. You heard the statement, all grow up. Well, yeah, grow up. <laughs> and find out you might be 25 feet tall. Designed to be a perfect human world where none suffered, where everyone would be happy. It was a disaster. No one would accept the program. Entire crops were lost. Some believed that we lacked the programming language to describe your perfect world, but I believe that as a species, human beings define their reality through misery and suffering. The perfect world was a dream that your primitive cerebrum kept trying to wake up from. Which is why the Matrix was redesigned to this 
the peak of your civilization. And I say your civilization because as soon as we started thinking for you, it really became our civilization, which is, of course, what this is all about. Evolution, Morpheus. Evolution. Like the dinosaur. Look out that window. You've had your time. The future is our world, Morpheus. The future is our time. I'd like to share a revelation that I've had during my time here. It came to me when I tried to classify your species. I realized that you're not actually mammals. Every mammal on this planet instinctively develops a natural equilibrium with the surrounding environment, but you humans do not. You move to an area and you multiply and multiply until every natural resource is consumed. And the only way you can survive is to spread to another area. There is another organism on this planet that follows the same pattern. Do you know what it is? A virus. Human beings are a disease, a cancer of this planet. You are a plague, and we are the cure. Can you hear me, Morpheus? I'm going to be honest with you. I hate this place, this zoo, this prison, this reality, whatever you want to call it. I can't stand it any longer. It's the smell. If there is such a thing, I feel saturated by it. I can taste your stink. Every time I do, I fear that I have somehow been infected by it. It's repulsive, isn't it? I must get out of here. I must get free. And in this mind is the key. My key. People that's awake and there's people asleep. Mm -hmm. Now, most people on this planet are asleep. So let's break it to the least common anomaly. Let's say the black community. Ooh. We it used to they say five percent. <laughs> no, it's like old point something now. That's right. You see, that's asleep. So you're gonna be lonely because the simple fact that people are asleep. Now, how is this? You have a chakra system in your body. And these are nine wheels of consciousness. Most, uh, excuse me, seven wheels of consciousness. There's like 160 chakras, but seven major chakras, just like there's seven African powers. <clears throat> now, what has happened here to give you a scientific element of what's going on so you can clear this up so you don't have to go and be trying to holler at somebody and they laugh at you and they don't want to hear that shit. Because your family will beat you down, and niggas in the street will beat you down. You're going to try to give them a message. <laughs> now, <laughs> have you around here crazy. 
Now, the chakra system, the lowest chakra is your sacral vertebrae. That's your root chakra. And that's where the majority of the people's um, consciousness is, on the root chakra. So the only thing that they can get down with is desires. What feels good, what tastes good, what smells good, what looks good, what sounds good. Yeah. You see, the, Lord the basic sen- uh, senses, you see, on that particular level, they are called the automatons, which means automation. Okay. They moving, but they they brain dead. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Now, you don't even get into this particular consciousness that you can partake to understand what things is until you're radiating from the heart chakra. Mm-hmm. You see, the heart chakra. That's why the Egyptian, the heart, the scarab, the heart scarab was the most important. Even when you died, they throw the brain away. But it was the heart that they preserved. So that's another, that's where your true self is. But you got to radiate from the heart chakra and then you elevate on into the pineal gland. But most people's consciousness is in the root chakra. On the five senses, the animal level. And they can look pretty, they can have a PhD with a degree. They tell you it's only a degree of information. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, a degree of information, it has nothing to do with a person's behavior. Mm. Whether they're conscious or not. You see, it has nothing to do with what a person wears. It has something to do is where they incarnated down here on a certain level and they are radiating above the root shock. And I guarantee you this right now. Even if some of you all just coming into consciousness the last couple of weeks or the last year, I'll guarantee you, you always felt special since you was a baby. Now, I've been asking that question in my lectures around the country for, 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 for 16 years. And I asked everybody, how many of you all always thought that you were special? And the whole room always raised their hand. You didn't know what it was. You see what I'm saying? But you thought it was special. And you always had a thirst for something that you didn't know what it was. And it was this knowledge. Let me give you an example. When I was, on, when I was in college, I was standing up one time. I had finished school. And I was standing um, on the college campus with one of the coaches. We got to be good friends, one of the basketball coaches, Coach Holmes. And he said, well, how do you, how do you feel, man? You, you've had to, you educated yourself. I said, man, I don't feel shit. <laughs> I didn't know at the time. I said, I told him, I said, I thought when I came here to this university that when I left, I was going to have some kind of knowledge. I didn't know what the knowledge was. All I know is what I, when I went through for four years, I didn't have shit. I, I, I knew I felt empty. Now it was it was you know it was a couple of years later that what I was missing I realized was knowledge. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But I, I but but I knew something was wrong. You see, and that's what it is. You you always thought that you was you, you that, that something was missing, and that's why is that is because you were you, you were gravitating but above the root shock. Yup.
Peace to the God. Peace to the God. What's happening? What's happening? What's happening? I'm your host, Troy Dolph L. Bay. Sitting it right here on the bottom line on the New Evolution Radio Network. Welcome to the show. Call in number is 347-989-0194. Tonight we're talking about money. Very good topic for us to go into. A lot going on. We're going towards the end of the quarter. A lot of talk about this thing called revaluation. And you know, um, a lot of people don't have a good grasp on what money is. You know, we're still operating with fiat. You know, I liken it to the game of Monopoly. Because that's exactly what it is. It's Monopoly. It's Monopoly money that we use. If you look at Monopoly money, you see some of the shit is the same color as your money. Interesting enough. We're going to talk about it tonight. I'm going to break it down. We're going to look at some modern money mechanics. Because it is very important for you to understand what money is. Especially if you want to operate as quote-unquote sovereign. You know, sovereigns always have gold and silver. You really can't be sovereign without land, gold, and silver, and the ability to govern yourself. That is indeed what makes one sovereign. Without a doubt. So tonight we're going to take a look at it. We're going to look at this thing called money. Or look at some definitions. You know, anytime you go and get a car note, a mortgage, a loan, some type of anything that you have to get where they securitize something and they give you money. It means that you are the creator of the money. Right? You do the Houdini on the paper. The money is created out of thin air, right? We like to call this fractional reserve banking. So we'll take a look at this tonight as we go into it. If you want to highlight it, get your stuff in the call line. The call line number is 347-989-0194. Make sure you press the number one, and I will answer your questions. All right, visit me at makemorecommerce.com. All right, for more remedies. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to dive right into this information. Um, I'm going to play a clip. I played about two weeks ago. And um, this will break down some information, kind of give us a, a preface into tonight. Okay? So stick with us. Don't go nowhere. We'll be right back right after these messages. Peace to the gods. Good night. I welcome this opportunity to chat with everybody, and thank you for taking time out of your evening and uh, giving the old man your ear. Here's here's really what uh, what has transpired. You know, if you uh, look back when you bought a home, you went to the bank and you filled out some paperwork, and one of the pieces of paper that you signed was your mortgage. And it was notarized and it was recorded with the birth deeds, registered deeds, or uh, 
uh, clerk of, of uh, county, clerk of court, whatever. Okay. And the other piece of paper that you set, filled out and signed was a promise. And let's say you borrowed four hundred thousand dollars. Well, you signed a piece of paper where you promised to pay that man across the table or his representative $400,000 over a period of 30 years or 20 years or whatever the term was. But you signed that piece of paper and it was not notarized. But it was like signing a blank check. But it was a promise to pay which made it a negotiable instrument. Now, when you... When you gave signed that paper, you thought that the bank was going to give you $400,000. That's what you thought. Well, when you signed that piece of paper, what did they give you? They didn't give you anything yet. You just signed the document, and that piece of paper became an asset for that bank. It was now an asset that they owned. You no longer owned it. Yours was a promise to pay. So that asset was now $400,000 of theirs, and here's what they did with it. They didn't give you any money yet, but they took that asset and they created a bond, just like you would bail your nephew out of jail. They created a bond, and that bond went, they took it to the Federal Reserve, and the Federal Reserve gave them approximately 10 times the amount of your promise to pay. Now, let's say your promise to pay was 400000 The Federal Reserve create, uh, gave them a credit of about $4 bucks. Now, how much money have they put up? They have put up absolutely zero. They leveraged, leveraged, and the, the technical word for it is monetized, but they leveraged your promise to pay to create four million bucks. And they still had your promise to pay. They kept it. They just created a bond. They then took your promise to pay to another party, and we'll call that party a wholesaler, and that wholesaler took it to what we call an aggregator or trustee. And it was then sold to a trust. And 95% of the trusts are in New York. So it was sold on Wall Street. Well, where did the money come from for this note? Where did it come from? Well, the trust filed before you even applied for that note the trust filed what we call an 8k filing with the securities and exchange commission and we'll call it the Rosado trust and they told the securities and exchange commission that they were going to uh, uh, sell investment certificates and they were uh, uh, what we call mortgage-backed securities or they were called CDOs collateralized collateralized debt obligations, whatever fancy term they called it, that note was the security for these folks to induce certificate holders or investors. 
Uh, let's just say the folks that are listening to this phone call. Let's say they represent the uh, uh, school teachers in their area. So the school teachers' pension plan invested $10 million each into this trust that was backed by your promise to pay. So they were they were given, oh, let's say 6% return on their investment. But you were paying maybe 7%. So the trust was earning money, okay? Now, those certificates, okay, that were purchased by the investors, okay, that money went back to the bank that you signed that promise to pay with, and that's where the funds came from for you to buy your house. Wow. Wow. Listen to this for a minute. That piece of paper that was never notarized traveled all around the world, gathering a lot, a lot of money. It created $4 million for the bank in credit on your signature, it also induced a lot of school teachers' pension plans or firefighters' pension plans to invest into that trust. They got an investment certificate, and the funds came backwards to the bank, and the bank then uh, through the uh, title company, they provided the $400,000 to purchase the house. Good deal. Very good deal. For who? For the bank. They got $4 million in credit and didn't put up a nickel. Now, the trustee for this trust, he is uh, provided what we call a pooling and services agreement. That's his uh, management book. That's his rules. That's what he has to follow to comply with the SEC rules. So in that pooling and services agreement, there's a clause in there that says, if you fail to pay your mortgage, they they uh, uh, entered into an insurance contract so that if that mortgage wasn't paid, the insurance company would pay it. But the money wouldn't go to you. It would go to the trust. So then we call that a credit default swap, and the insurance company is, listen to this, AIG. Now, when you got in trouble and, you know, you lost your job or your overtime or for whatever reason, you tried to contact the bank and you got the runaround. You ended up talking to this person, that person, submit these papers. Oh, we lost them. Submit them again. And all that crap that goes with it. But you were told we can't help you until you're 90 days late. Everybody's heard that. Well, guess what happened on day 91? On day 91... The insurance policy that the trustee entered into with AIG triggered a payoff and the trust received the full 
amount of the note, regardless of how much you've paid on your mortgage, they got the full amount of the note. So if the note was insured for 400000 the trust got 400000 But here's a mystery here, and I'll explain it as easy as I can. The Federal Reserve allowed the trust to leverage that $400,000 note 30 times. So they created 30 different levels. Now your $400,000 note is purchased by other lenders and along we go. So let's go back to the default. The AIG paid off the note when it was 91 days late. So at this point, who has lost any money? Nobody except AIG or insurers like that. Sol Smith, Solomon, Barney Brothers and all that stuff. Now, someone attempts to foreclose. And let's say the lender that you got the note from, they're going to foreclose on you. Or the trust is going to foreclose on you. Or let's say it's Wells Fargo acting as trustee for Bear Stearns Trust. Well, they're trying to steal the house because nobody has any skin in the game. They've all been paid commissions, and they've been very successful in stealing houses. Hmm, what happened here? Well, I sat in the Fort Myers courtroom many times, and I watched folks, average folks, lose their house in five minutes because they didn't have an idea of what to do, didn't know where to go for an answer, and didn't have any money. Now, in this foreclosure arena, so I'll call it a football field, in this field of litigation, the only players are the consumers who have enough money to pay an attorney. And what is he doing? He's delaying the time so that you maybe save a couple of months of rent or, or mortgage payments. But at the end of the, end of the day, when you pull the shade down, turn the lights out, he wins a dismissal without prejudice, which means the bank that is foreclosing, who doesn't have any skin in the game, will come back again in a month and try to foreclose, try to foreclose again. MERS, uh, technically, is Mortgage Electronic Registration Systems. They were formed by the banks, and the banks became members. And MERS, at the closing table, is named as the nominee lender. They take, they take possession of the mortgage electronically, not the hard copy, but electronically. MERS, their theory is and was that by they being the nominee lender, and having possession of the mortgage electronically, they believe that the note followed the mortgage. 
And there are some judges who don't understand this who agreed with that. However, the U.S. Supreme Court in 1872 said, if the note and the mortgage are separated because one secures the other, if they're separated, they're both null and void. And to simplify it, if you were going to buy my car, you're not going to give me the check until I give you the title. The keys to the car are one thing, but the title is another thing. Now, MERS took possession of the mortgage, but they could not take possession of the note because the Kansas Supreme Court ruled that they are not a lender. With that being said, your loan was bifurcated, that's a legal word, bifurcated right at the closing, but you didn't know that. Now, that means your type, chain of title was broken. So, fast-forwarding ahead, we simply said, and this uh, workbook that I created, and I'm the only layman that I know of, and I've been told this, that's ever been approved by the Florida Bar to teach attorneys about this subject. I've subsequently been approved by the Georgia Bar, the Wisconsin Bar, the Nevada Bar, and other states to follow. So that's quite an accomplishment for a little white-haired old man to be able to be certified to teach attorneys. What you need is a securitization audit which follows the paper trail from the time you closed until it enters into the trust. And a Bloomberg financial report that pulls out all of the financial information about the trust. When you have that information and it's accompanied with an affidavit sworn under the penalty of perjury, you now have evidence, you now have admissible evidence to the court that the note was paid off when the insurance or credit default swap was triggered. Well, if the note was paid off, who is damaged? Who is damaged? Nobody. The only logical people with a claim to that house, only logical people, would be the insurance company that paid out the claim. But now, here's the, here's the uh, end of my story tonight, and then I'll open it up for questions. If you have your vehicle insured by, let's say, GEICO, and you total it, GEICO will write you a check for the value of the vehicle, but who owns the salvage rights? Think about that for a minute. Write your question down. Think about it. The salvage rights are owned by GEICO. They then part it out or salvage, sell it, whatever, so they can minimize their losses. Well, in the foreclosure arena, the insurance company is GEICO, and if they paid off the certificate holders, then they would have a claim to the house. Logical. 
except, except they insured unsecured notes. Remember, at the closing table, MERS became the nominee lender. It separated the note from the mortgage. The U.S. Supreme Court says that they're separated. They're both null and void. Well, GEICO insured unsecured notes because the notes that were not accompanied by the mortgage or vice versa. Therefore, they had no claim on the wreck or the house. Whew. Now. So essentially they're double well, dipping or, or, or double dipping and triple dipping absolutely. even. Absolutely. And today Geico has a big time lawsuit against Bank of America because Geico, I'm not Geico, my God. When you get my age, you can invent words. AIG has a major lawsuit against Bank of America because Bank of America defrauded them on the quality of the loans. The loans were rated AAA by uh, Standard & Poor's or Moody's or whatever, when in fact they slid into that pile of loans, they slid, slid in some toxic loans, some some uh, uh, marginal loans, and GEICO ended up paying based on misrepresentation. Wow, what a hornet's nest. You, here's what you do. And I did this with Regents Bank. I walked into the bank, and I said to the girl, I want to talk to the president. The bank has dirty diapers, and they really smell. Well, he's in conference. I said, it's no problem. I'll just drop the diapers right here. In less than 30 seconds, he comes out of his office and he said, I overheard the conversation. What's the problem? I said, you've got dirty diapers. There's fraud in, this, in these loans. Now, what do you want to do? Do you want to litigate or do you want to negotiate? And so he called his legal department and I said, here's the proof. You people have already been paid. What do you want to do? And it stopped all the activity in court because you had proof. And that's the value of the securitization audit in the Bloomberg Financial Report. So if I were a real estate investor, I would not rely on any modification because you're dealing with someone who doesn't own the note. Remember, remember earlier in the conversation, a lawyer here in Cape Coral and the real estate broker, they were partners. They paid the bank $156,000. And Randy, I think you saw the article. And the bank didn't mm -hmm. own it. So if I'm an investor, how the hell do I know who owns the, who owns the note? So the only way I can find out who owns the note so I can sit across the table and cut a deal is to flush them out of the woodwork. And how do you flush them out? You sue them. Wow. This old man's got a lot of enthusiasm. Okay. The ability to walk into the bank and say to the bank, to the president of the bank, you have dirty diapers. Do you want to litigate or you do you want to negotiate? And they always would rather negotiate 
And then it's a question of how much money they will take based on today's value. So if a if a home had a mortgage of four hundred thousand is worth two hundred thousand today, banks are negotiating today's value. Now, can the individual homeowner negotiate? No. No. Because then the bank says, well, why don't you pay me in the first place? Okay. All right. Thank you, guys. We're back. Now, we're going to kind of work backwards. I want to give you all some preface. You're listening to audio tonight because I want I don't want to be the only one that I hear this from, right? But we're going to break it down, all right? And we're talking about money tonight. So you just heard it about mortgages, right? Securitization. You know, saying everything that we deal with is done with securitization. The birth certificate, the social security number, your signature on a bank loan, or your signature for um application on a job. Everything is securitized. So, Let's look at some definitions before we go into this next audio. And I want to pull up the definitions for a second. Okay, we're going to look at the definition of lawful money. Now, lawful money, because what is lawful money? According to Investopedia, lawful money is any form of currency issued by the United States Treasury and not the Federal Reserve System. It includes gold and silver coins, treasury notes, treasury bonds, okay? Lawful money stands in contrast to fiat money, okay, which the government assigns value, although it has no intrinsic value of its own, and it's not backed by any reserves, okay? Fiat money includes legal tender, such as paper money, checks, drafts, and banknotes, okay? So, when you go in there and you sign a mortgage, you sign car notes, you sign a promissory note. Right? You're creating fiat money. Now, lawful money is real money. So, oddly enough, the dollar bill that we carry around in our wallets are not considered lawful money. The notation on the bottom of a U.S. dollar bill reads, quote, Legal tender for all debts, public and private, and is issued by the U.S. Federal Reserve and not the U.S. Treasury. Okay? Your monopoly money I was referring to at the beginning of the show. Now, legal tender can be exchanged for an equivalent amount of lawful money, but macro effects such as inflation can change the value of fiat money. Lawful money is said to be the most direct form of ownership. But for the purpose of practicality, it has little use. Excuse me, it has, yeah, it has little use in direct transactions between parties, which means that niggas ain't trading gold silver with each other no more. We use a fiat now. Okay, now the Federal Reserve Act of 1913, which establishes the Federal Reserve System, that okay, prior to this time, okay, this is how they were implementing. They were slowly implementing their way up to House Bill Resolution 192, Public Law 7310. Okay, and this is what bankrupt you and made you completely um, absolved of your gold and silver. Okay, so the Federal Reserve Act of 1913, which establishes the Federal Reserve System, 
and authorizes it to issue the Federal Reserve note, states that the Federal Reserve note shall be obligations of the United States and shall be receivable by all national receivable by all national and member banks and Federal Reserve banks and for all taxes, customs, and other public dues. Yo, even your banks are operating under the 14th Amendment. Okay? They shall be deemed in lawful money on demand at the Treasury Department of the United States in the city of Washington, District of Columbia, or at any Federal Reserve Bank. Okay? This is in the Federal Reserve Bank. So you were supposed to be able to go Federal Reserve notes and cash them in for gold or silver, whatever the equivalent was, right? That that was that, – I remember when I was a child, my parents actually still had bills that were redeemable in gold. No? You'd be hard-pressed to find that these days. Now, however, the act did not explicitly define what lawful money meant. So since some currencies could be used by national banking associations as, quote, lawful money reserves were not considered legal tender, Congress amended the Federal Reserve Act in 1930. All U.S. coins and currency as legal tender for all purposes. Right? The 1933 amendment extended the power the power of legal tender to all types of money, creating a distinction of whether paper money and reserves in the Federal Reserve Bank are lawful money. Now, while some argue that the Federal Reserve notes are lawful money, others tend to disagree. Now, that's that's a funny thing because people who work, and I've actually had this conversation with people who work at the Federal Reserve, they'll tell you, oh, yeah, that is lawful money. Because according to them under the 14th Amendment, it is considered lawful money. Okay? The U.S. Constitution states, quote, no state shall make anything but gold and silver coins, a tender and payment of debt, end quote. And some believe that this is the definition of lawful money, and thus any payment, medium, other than gold or silver, is not considered lawful money. In fact, primary meaning of lawful money is legal tender. But a broad interpretation is frequently applied in certain contexts. This is the reason why I had this conversation the other day. Right? Me and Shirley had this conversation. And um, she had attempted to, um, what was she doing? She, she was trying to find, um, oh, she was going through her, her actual um, contract for her car. Right? So she was trying to figure out whether or not. The contract specifically stated that you were supposed to use some type of money to pay the note, right? So they say, oh, yeah, well, um, you know, there's nothing specific in here, but we don't take Federal Reserve notes. So she says, well, if you don't take Federal Reserve notes, what have you been taking the whole time? Right? So oh, they say they don't take the guy, but yet they can't tell you how to pay. Look at every contract you've ever signed, right, an, an agreement to pay something back. You've never signed an agreement specifically to pay something back with Federal Reserve notes. No, no, no. So, so at the end of the day, your money is whatever you created to be, fractional reserve bank. Okay. So now let's look at fiat money. Fiat money is currency that a government – has declared to be legal tender. Let me read that again. 
fiat money is a currency that a government, okay, a government has declared to be legal tender. So your government can all of a sudden decide tomorrow that they want to trade marble. And if people put their faith in the marble, that will be the currency. Right? So fiat money is not backed by any physical commodity. So what's a commodity? A commodity is a basic good, right? It's used in commerce that is interchangeable with other commodities, oil, diamonds, gold, silver, shit like that, right? Commodities are most often used as input in the production of other goods or services. The quality of a given commodity may differ slightly, but it is essential uniform across producers. This is your import-export, right? So now, when they are traded in exchange, commodities must also uh, be specified with minimum standards, right? They call this a, a basis grade, okay? So a basis grade is a minimum expected standard that's deliverable, right, amongst the whole asset class, if you will, right? Um, and now, uh, which which is interesting because if, you, if you're talking about gold and silver, right, that would essentially be um, a commodity, right, that money could be backed by. But fiat money is not backed by a physical. It ain't backed by shit. Matter of fact, it's backed by the fact that you and I agreed to use it to do commerce with, right? Straight up. That's the only reason why we are even using these damn dollar bills. Oh, besides the fact that it's awful hard to carry around, you know, more than a few ounces of gold at a time. Right? I mean, I keep an ounce of silver in my in my pocket. I don't need to ask for that. That's the two thousand for you. But imagine that's all that you got is silver and ounces of it in your pocket. It's going to take you quite a while to get through all that silver. Okay? So fiat money is not backed by any physical commodity. So the value of fiat money is derived from the relationship between supply and demand rather than the value of the material from which the money is actually made. You know, I, I told this story before. Um, in the Roman Empire, right, um, and this is, this is at the height of the Roman Empire, right? Actually, I'm sorry, this is at the fall of the Roman Empire. Um, it's kind of in the middle because they had different stages. But in the middle of their fall, what they did was they, they minted coin. They would take all of the silver, right, all of the silver they take it, started taking other um, alkaloids and metals and shit and combining it with the silver, and they were stretching the silver to make more silver. You know, same way niggas do with, like, um, when they're in the streets, right? They get a little brick, and they want to stretch it. Same shit. So these these niggas were stretching the money supply by literally making more silver, right? And they were causing inflation in the economy because they were they they were overcreating the money supply. I think we've seen this somewhere else before, right? When you have the ability to create so much fake money, eventually. The economy goes bust. Now, that's a macroeconomics, and I have to be honest with you. Not, um, I've studied economics, 
micro and macro, not deep enough to where I can say I'm a, uh, a, an economist, but I can tell you the history repeats itself, and it always will. So if history repeats itself, right, and we've seen this before where if inflation comes in because too much fiat money has been created, what do you think will happen in the United States? Why do you think people are pulling out? Matter of fact, China sold recently $300 billion of their United States reserves, of their treasury reserves. This is recently, in the last month and a half. They selling up their treasury reserves. You have to ask why. Because they're not backed by anything. You understand? Now, fiat money only has value because the government maintains that value. Okay? Or because two parties agree on the said value. Now, fiat money was introduced as an alternative to commodity-backed money. They had to bring in fiat money because niggas was broke. They was like, bro, we ain't got no gold. We ain't got no silver. Matter of fact, the only people who have gold and silver um, are the people. So yet they start creating birth certificates and security pies and shit. Because we are the only ones who can create the money now. They fucked it up. Okay? Now, because fiat money is not linked to any physical reserve, it becomes worthless due to hyperinflation. Okay? Now, for those who don't know, hyperinflation is extremely fast, out-of-control inflation. Hyperinflation occurs when the price is so wild that the concept of inflation is meaningless. Although hyperinflation is considered to be rare, it occurred as many as 55 times in the 20th century in countries such as China, Germany, Russia, and Argentina. Okay? So fiat money causes hyperinflation. We've seen this in our own economy with inflation. We can talk about inflation rates. You know, the Fed doesn't want to, uh, uh, going to lower the rates or Fed's going to bump the rates up. Okay? Now, if people lose faith, in the nation's paper currency, like the U.S. dollar bill, the money would no longer hold value. So this differs from gold, which historically has been used in jewelry and decoration and has many modern economic uses, including its use in the manufacture of electronic devices, computers, and aerospace vehicles. Okay? Now, historically, the word fiat comes from uh, the Latin word, let it be done, right? But historically, most currencies were based on physical commodities, such as gold and silver. But fiat is solely based on the faith and the credit of an economy. Now, most paper currencies are fiat currencies, and they have no intrinsic value. They are used solely as a means of payment. This is why they're trying to kill off Gaddafi. Okay? Move off Gaddafi is trying to read back his currency in his country by gold. Okay? Now, historically, governments would mint coins out of physical commodities, such as gold or silver, and would print paper money that could be redeemed for a set amount of the physical commodity. And this is where they have this shit in their reserves. These fucking crooks here have taken all of the gold and silver, given you fiat money, and have made it completely um, they will rob you completely of being able to go into a bank and get and get gold and silver with your money. Okay? So they made it completely not okay 
really, on a world stage, to continue using this shit. The world don't want to continue using fake money. Not everybody in the world is fake, my nigga. There's some real people out here, and it's some real people with real agendas. Just grab this whole water. Okay? Now, and, and like I said, this is interesting because we use this shit every day. It's all faith-based money. This might as, this might as well be uh, uh, the church's money. For real, for real. And Federal Reserve Bank is a privately owned bank. It's privately owned. Okay? But if you're a U.S. citizen, you're subject to banking law. Fiat money is convertible and cannot be redeemed. Excuse me, it's inconvertible and cannot be redeemed. Fiat money rose to prominence in the 20th century, specifically after the collapse of the Britain Woods Agreement, which was dissolved between 1968 and 1973, when the United States ceased to allow the conversion of the dollar into gold. Okay, that's this is the Britain Woods Agreement. The Britain Woods Agreement is the landmark system for monetary and exchange rate management established in 1944. It was developed at the United Nations Monetary and Financial Conference, held in Britain Woods, New Hampshire, July 1st to July 22nd, 1944. Under this agreement, currencies were pegged to the price of gold, and the U.S. dollar was seen as the reserve currency linked to the price of gold. Okay? So the U.S. dollar is considered to be both and legal tender. Legal tender is any currency that the government declares to be legal. Many governments issue a fiat currency, then make it legal tender by setting it as a standard for debt repayment. So U.S. dollars, and, and let me read, let me read that back to you again, because that's not constitutional. Let me read it one more time. Because many governments issue a fiat currency, then make it legal tender by setting it as a standard for a debt repayment. So now you're not paying back shit in gold or silver. You're paying back uh, your debt with what they call the standard repayment. That's standard. Why? Because everybody and their mama using it. That doesn't mean that it, it is right. It doesn't mean that it's your only option. I told you, look at your contract or your car note. Look at your mortgage. Look at everything you sign. Look at your student loan. They don't tell you how to pay the shit back. They just tell you we need money back from you. They don't say we need you to pay a second. Gold, silver, fiat reserve currency. You can give us a promissory note. You can do an accord and satisfaction. You can discharge it. They don't tell you none of that, do they? The U.S. dollars are now backed by the U.S. government, okay? making it fiat, fiat money. And it's legal tender. It's accepted by both private and public debt. Now, the gold standard, which is backed by U.S. currency, with federal gold, ended completely in 1973. Now, when the United States also stopped issuing gold to foreign governments in exchange for U.S. currency notes. I, I, I uh, was looking somewhere, um, and it was, uh, I think it was Russia, if I'm not mistaken, and Russia wanted the United States to show them all of their gold. They was like, listen, man, we want to see our shit. The United States was like, nah, I can't see it. They was like, what do you mean we can't see our gold? It's our gold. 
we gave it to you to hold for us. And see how she asked us, like, now I can't let you see it. You got to a point they was getting ready to go to war with us because we wasn't allowing them to see their shit. Finally, they said, all right, we'll let you see it, but we're not going to let you touch it to count it. Now, don't that sound like some fucking criminal shit? I'm going to let you see your money, but I can't let you count it. You know, you just, it's in my hand. You just look in my hand and count it, count it and looking in my hand. It's criminal, okay? But this is how they operate. So the value of the dollar fluctuates with the economic condition. And the way the interest rates are managed by the federal government, since the money supply is controlled by the government, more dollars can be printed to create higher inflation as needed to influence economic conditions. So as changes in public confidence in the U.S. government occur frequently, the value of the dollar may change rapidly even without ongoing federal management. So what they're telling you is at some point that dollar could just collapse and people can stop using it. Very possible. Okay. All right. So now we know what money is defined as. We should know that banks don't lend money. Banks do not lend money. Let me say that again for you. Banks do not lend money. Okay. It's impossible for them to lend money. And if they were to lend you money, they actually would be against security laws. They don't lend their own money. Right? They create money out of thin air. Right? We call this Federal Reserve Banks. Okay? I'm going to play a clip for you. When we come back, we're going to dive into it some more. Okay? Now, this clip, we're going to go into the fact that there, uh, there is no money. Okay? Remember, I was on Resolution 192. You create the money. You are the money. This is where the money starts. If you listen to it, we'll be right back. Don't go nowhere, keep it locked. Um, I just want to have you to have a look at this, this graph. To frame it, it's UK private debt since 1880. And you can see what happens around the Great Depression. Uh, and then suddenly Thatcher comes to power, private debt takes off. Richard, uh, financial sector, a, a bloated or a dominant financial sector, its effect, in your view, on the real economy? Well, first of all, it's interesting that um, the national income accountants who think a lot about the overall economy how to measure it and how to, you know, structure the data. They actually have been struggling for decades with uh, the question, what to do with the financial sector? Why? Because uh, GDP is actually created by national income accounting by adding up value-added activities. And that's where the financial sector has a problem. What is the value added? Um, and it's, it's been so difficult that Essentially, the um, national accounting statisticians have to make up a fictional value and just add it onto GDP and say, okay, that's, we can say that maybe is, is what the financial sector is doing. Because essentially, there is no value added, there's value extracted. And so, really, you need to subtract it from GDP. Has the finance sector, the fire sector, has it become a cost centre? Because is, is, there, as, you know, is there a sweet spot where it's actually serving humanity, society, and facilitating business? And when it becomes a profit generator in and of itself, it becomes detrimental to the wider, to the wider world. Start with you. Well, exactly. Um, even the mainstream textbooks in finance, banking, and macro-monetary economics will, will show banks 
as financial intermediaries. Now, there's, there's a problem with that. It's clear there is a high price that we're paying for this, what should be a humble intermediation service that's being performed. And the salaries that are being paid are you know, famously very high, which is very strange if they're just intermediaries. Logically, where does that end up? I think there's a structural problem. That is the concentration of the banking sector. So in the UK, five banks account for 90% of deposits, which is one of the most concentrated banking systems in the world. In Germany, um, those high street banks account for 12% of deposits, and 70% of deposits are accounted for by 1,500 local not-for-profit community banks. There's a general tendency when an organization gets large and larger and larger and gets very big, um, essentially decisions are made without accountability and the temptations of power strike. Lord Acton famously put it this way, you know, um, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So when you have very large banks and only five of them dominating the economy and through the political mechanism and the already financial sector-centered political system and political infrastructure. You know, the city of London having a person in parliament that is not elected, the remembrancer, and you know, all these rights of the square mile as a sovereign state, you know, all these things. And the Queen needs permission and to go there, right? Exactly. And so what you will get is large banks only wanting to deal with large customers in order to do large deals. And that's also where you get the large bonuses. Well, we've done a study on the US, which has the biggest banking sector in the world, over 15,000 banks of all sizes and shapes. The very large banks deal with the very large customers, give very large loans. The medium-sized banks give medium-sized loans. Who is lending to small firms? It is only the small banks. Now, the UK doesn't have those. So the structure has become too concentrated. And what is badly needed in the UK is decentralization. One has to break up the, the financial sector and um, have much smaller units because small banks, community banks are locally accountable. You can't suddenly do a crazy project or you know, big corruption because people see what you're doing. But I think you'd argue for decentralized banking system, wouldn't you? Even though you're a city uh, oh, devotee. Oh, no, without a doubt. But, but because it's anti-fragile. I'd, like I'd like Richard to comment on this because I am, and I, as I'm sure Richard is, but We've had our metro banks, we've had our Aldermores, we've had our One Savings. Challenger banks, all challenger, the challenger, challenger banks. Challenger banks, we've had uh, Handels Bank, or Handels Bank has done a fantastic job, but it's still tiny. Exactly. Now, they will stay tiny, the ones um, that are UK challenger banks and that are profit-oriented. You, know, you know why? Because the moment they get a bit bigger, yeah. they will be bought up and they will disappear. This is exactly what happened over the last yeah. 100 years. Richard, when you think about inequality, inequality in the UK, and it's a hot topic, and you think about, as you'd like the banking sector to be uh, decentralised, flatter structure, more resilient, how do you begin to uh, talk to the public or the political class about achieving those goals? Essentially, you know, if, if, if um, we want to produce something, we need funding, so there's a role for banks in almost everything that's happening in the economy. But what exactly is that role? I just 
quickly, I'd like to reflect on that. Banks are being thought of as intermediaries, but this are is they? not really what's happening. Banks. What, what are they then? They're creators of the money supply. So you're firmly of the view that banks create money out of thin air? Yes, well, I, I produced the first empirical studies to prove that um, in the 5,000-year history of banking. Banks are thought of as uh, deposit-taking institutions that lend money. The legal reality is banks don't take deposits and banks don't lend money. So what is a deposit? A deposit is not actually a deposit. It's not a bailment. It's not held in custody. Uh, at law, the word deposit is meaningless. The law courts and various judgments have made it very clear if you give your money to a bank, even though it's called a deposit, this money is simply a loan to the bank. That's true. Yeah. So there is no such thing as a deposit. So you think it's poorly adequately named then? So mm. banks borrow from the public. Okay, so that much we've established. What about lending? Surely they're lending money. Um, no, they don't. Banks don't lend money. Banks, again, at law, it's very clear, they're in the business of purchasing securities. That's it. So you say, okay, don't you know, confuse me with all that legalese. No. I want a loan. I want a loan. Yeah. Fine. Here's the loan contract. Here's the offer letter. And you sign. At law, it's very clear, you have issued a security, namely a promissory note. And the bank is going to purchase that. That's what's happening at Put law. it in layman's terms. What does that mean? It means that um, what the bank is doing is very different from what it presents to the public that it's doing. How does this fit together? So you say, fine, the bank purchases my promissory note, but how do I get my money? I want, you know, it's a I loan, want I want my 200 money. Grand, right? I don't care about the details, I want the money. The bank will say, well, you'll find it in your account with us. That would be technically correct. If they say, we'll transfer it to your account, that's wrong, because no money is transferred at all. It's already From in the bank. anywhere inside the bank or outside the bank. Why? Because what we call a deposit is simply the bank's record of its debt to the public. Now, it also owes you money, and its record of the money it owes you is what you think you're getting as money. And that's all it is. And that is how the banks create the money supply. The money supply consists to 97% of bank deposits. And these are created out of nothing by banks when they lend, because they invent fictitious customer deposits. Why? They simply restate, slightly incorrectly in accounting terms, what is an accounts payable liability arising from the loan contract having purchased your promissory note as a customer deposit, but nobody has deposited any money. I wonder how the FCA deals with this, because in the financial sector you're supposed to not mislead your customers. <laughs> um, anyway, so the banks create the money supply yes. by inventing these claims on themselves, the you know, the fictitious deposits, that can be actually positive for the economy as long as this money creation is in line with the creation of new goods and services, uh, implementation of new technologies, and therefore adding value. And adding value in the economy is funded by this money creation. If that happens, and we're talking about um, business investment, productive loans, productive bank credit, you will have no inflation. These loans can also be serviced and repaid. And you have a stable economy without problems and with low inequality. And so countries that achieve this, that the banks lend mainly for productive purposes, whether it's Germany in much of its 200-year history or um, in the last Can century the East Asian economies where bank credit was largely for productive purposes, then you're fine. But there's two more cases. I quickly need to point them out because that's the contrast. But, but just, just, just clarify that, that inequality is, is significantly lower? Lower, yes. Inflation is if, low? If, yes. And, and, the real, and, the, and the real economy thrives. is booming, yes. That's when bank credit creation 
is focused on um, productive lending for productive purposes. As opposed to speculation and, and asset as, price. As opposed to, there's two other types. If banks create credit for consumption, it's yes. obvious what's going to happen. You suddenly have more money create, created and more demand for goods, but the same amount of goes and services. So you're creating consumer price inflation. Price That's goes. well understood, and, and central banks are watching that a little bit. And what's but the what's, what's less well understood is, and what's the biggest in the UK, um, it's probably more than 70% of all lending, um, actually way more than that, um, is bank credit creation, so money creation uh, for financial transactions, for asset transactions, for purchasing ownership rights. Now then you have a problem. Why? Because you're creating new money, but you're not creating new goods and services. You're simply... They're constant, aren't they? You're giving... Niggas ducking straight shots. Been a top dog, that's before the K dots. Cracking in 06, immaculate show me ships. Talking like you Mitch, disastrous on the strip. Holding on your bitch, could've never sold you a brick. With them people, you never been on the list. Mona Lisa to me ain't nothing but a bitch. Hanging pictures like niggas swinging from his dick. We so different, you thought these didn't exist. The Megalodon never seen on his wrist. I'm from the south where they never make it this rich God is the greatest but Satan been on this shit Walking the pavement, I pray I'm illuminated Over a decade and never nobody's favorite Pot and kilo go hand in hand like we gambling huff My amigo a million grams when we count them enough You was dead broke, I let you hold it back You paid for it but I fuck around and stole the track Screaming gang gang, now you wanna rap Racketeering charges caught him on the tap Looking for a bond, lawyers want to tap. Purple hair, got them faggots on your back. Free. free is when nobody else can tell us what to be. Free is when the TV ain't controlling what we see. Told my niggas I need you. Through all the fame, you know I stay true. Pray my niggas stay free. Made a few mistakes, but this ain't where I want to be. Before I'm judged by 12, put a 12 on my feet. Told my niggas I need you. Stay up, I know these times ain't true. Real life, we're yeah. free. Fed investigations, heard they plotting like I trapped. 20 million cash, they know I got that off a rap. Maybe it's the Michael Rubens or the Robert Crafts. Or the billionaire from Marcy in the way they got my back. Uh, see how I prevailed and now they try to knock me back. Uh, lock me in the cell for all them nights and I won't snap. Uh, 250 is showing, they still think I'm selling crack. Uh, when you bring my name up to the judge, just tell them facts. Tell them how we funding all these kids to go to college. Tell them how we teaching all these boys stopping violence. Trying to fix the system in the way that they designed it I think they want me silent Oh, say you can see I don't feel like I'm free Locked down in my cell, shackled from ankle to feet Judge banging that gavel, turned me to slave from a king Another day in the bing 
I gotta hang from a string Just for popping a willy My people march to the city From a cell to a chopper View from the top of the city You can tell how we rockin' Soon as I pop up We litty poppin' like Bad Boy in 94 Big poppin' and Diddy And niggas countin' me out Like my account ain't busy That's 5 million 20 Sit up and count to I'm dizzy Spend a 500,000 Hundred round in the city If we beefin' a rapping, I might just pop up with Drizzy Like what's free? Free is when nobody else can tell us what to be Free is when the TV ain't controlling what we see Told my niggas I need you Through all the fame you know I stay true Pray my niggas stay free Made a few mistakes but this ain't where I wanna be Before I'm judged by 12, put a 12 on my feet Told my niggas I need you Stay up, I know these times ain't true Real life, what's free? In the land of the free where the blacks enslave Three-fifths of a man I believe's the phrase I'm 50% of Duce and it's that free, yeah 100% of Ace of Spade, worth half a beat. Uh. Rock Nation, half of that, that's my piece. 100% of title to bust it up with my cheese. Uh. Smokes, my niggas won't ever work together. You run a checker, but they never give you leverage. No red hat, don't Michael and Prince me and yay. They separate you when you got Michael and Prince's DNA. Uh. I ain't one of these house niggas you bought. My house like a resort. My house bigger than yours, my spot. Come on, man. My route better, of course. We started without food in our mouth. They gave us pork and pig intestines. Shit you discarded that we ingested. We made the project a way you came back. Reinvested and gentrified it. Took niggas since the pride. Now how that's free? And them people stole the song and hit niggas with 360s. I ain't got a billion streams, got a billion dollars. Inflating numbers like we po' be happy about this. We was praising Billboard, but we were young. Now I look at Billboard like, is you dumb? To this day, Grandma afraid what I might say They gonna have to kill me, Grandmama, I'm not their slave <laughs> Check out the bazaar, rapping style used by me The HOV, look at my hair free, carefree Niggas ain't nair free, enjoy your change What's your employer name with the hair piece? I survived a hood, can't no shaitan rob me My account's so good, I'm practically living tax-free Factory, that's me, sold drugs, got away, scot-free That's a C-C-E, copy, kill free Feel me and expect me to not feel away to this day. You would say, Yeah, kill me. Sucker free, no shucking me. I don't job turkey. Say happy Thanksgiving shit. Sound like a murder to me. Smoke free, all of y'all calling out toll free. Label rob you for millions, yet you wanna put a hole in me. Sugar free, season, but I'm so free. You lay a hand on hold, my shooter shoot for free. I promise World War Three. Send an order through a hands free. Kill you in 24 hours, but shorter you can't ignore the hand speed. On guard, it's off the head, this improv, but it's no comedy. Sign I fail, hell no. Nah. <laughs> Tune in every Sunday from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on the bottom line with Joey L. On the new Evolution Radio Network. Um, I just want to have you to have a look at this, this graph. To frame it, it's UK private debt since 1880. And you can see what happens around the Great Depression. Uh, and then suddenly Thatcher comes to power, private debt takes off. Richard, uh, financial sector, a, a bloated or a dominant financial sector, its effect, in your view, on the real economy? Well, first of all, it's interesting that um, the national income accountants who think a lot about the overall economy, how to measure it and how to you know, structure the data, they actually have been struggling for decades with uh, the question, what to do with the financial sector? Why? Because uh, GDP is actually created by national income accounting by adding up value-added activities. 
and that's where the financial sector has a problem. What is the value added? Um, and it's, it's been so difficult that essentially the um, national accounting statisticians have to make up a fictional value and just add it onto GDP and say, okay, that's, we can say that maybe is, is what the financial sector is doing. Because essentially, there is no value added, there's value extracted. And so, really, you need to subtract it from GDP. Has the finance sector, the fire sector, has it become a cost center? Because is, is, there, as, you know, is there a sweet spot where it's actually serving humanity, society, and facilitating business? And when it becomes a profit generator in and of itself, it becomes detrimental to the wider, to the wider world. Start with you. Well, exactly. Um, even the mainstream textbooks in finance, banking, and macro monetary economics will will show banks as financial intermediaries. Now, there's there's a problem with that. It's clear there is a high price that we're paying for this, what should be a humble intermediation service that's being performed and the salaries that are being paid are uh, you know, famously very high which is very strange if they're just intermediaries. Practically, where does that end up? I think there's a structural problem that is the concentration of the banking sector. So in the UK five banks account for 90% of deposits which is one of the most concentrated banking systems in the world. In Germany um, those high street banks account for 12% of deposits and 70% of deposits are accounted for by 1,500 local not-for-profit community banks. There's a general tendency when an organization gets large and larger and larger and gets very big, um, essentially decisions are made without accountability and the temptations of power strike. Lord Acton famously put it this way, you know, um, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So when you have very large banks and only five of them dominating the economy and through the political mechanism and the already financial sector centered political system and political infrastructure, you know, the city of London having a person in parliament that is not elected, the remembrance uh, and in all these rights of the square mile as a sovereign state, you know, all these things. And the Queen needs permission and to go there, right? Exactly. And so what you will get is large banks only wanting to deal with large customers in order to do large deals. And that's also where you get the large bonuses. Well, we've done a study on the US, which has the biggest banking sector in the world, over 15,000 banks of all sizes and shapes. The very large banks deal with the very large customers, give very large loans. The medium-sized banks give medium-sized loans. Who is lending to small firms? It is only the small banks. Now, the UK doesn't have those. So the structure has become too concentrated, and what is badly needed in the UK is decentralization. One has to break up the, the financial sector and um, have much smaller units because small banks, community banks, are locally accountable. You can't suddenly do a crazy project or you know, big corruption because people see what you're doing. But I think you'd argue for decentralized banking system, wouldn't you? Even though you're a city devotee. I'd like Richard to comment on this because I am, and I, as I'm sure Richard is, but we've had our metro banks, we've had our Aldermores, we've had our One Savings. Challenger banks. All challenger, the challenger, challenger banks. banks. We've had uh, Handels Bank. Well, Handelsbank has done a fantastic job, but it's still tiny. 
Exactly. Now they will stay tiny. The ones um, that are UK challenger banks and that are profit oriented. You know, you know why? Because the moment they get a bit bigger, yeah. they will be bought up and they will disappear. This is exactly what happened over the last yeah. 100 years. Richard, when you think about inequality, inequality in the UK, and it's a hot topic, and you think about, as you'd like the banking sector to be uh, decentralised, flatter structure, more resilient, how do you begin to uh, talk to the public or the political class about achieving those goals? Essentially, you know, if, if, if um, we want to produce something, we need funding, so there's a role for banks in almost everything that's happening in the economy. But what exactly is that role? I just quickly, I'd like to reflect on that. Banks are being thought of as intermediaries, but this are is they? not really what's happening. Banks, what, what are they then? They're creators of the money supply. So you're firmly of the view that banks create money out of thin air? Yes, well, I, I produced the first empirical studies to prove that um, in the 5,000 year history of banking. Banks are thought of as uh, deposit taking institutions that lend money. The legal reality is Banks don't take deposits and banks don't lend money. So what is a deposit? A deposit is not actually a deposit. It's not a bailment. It's not held in custody. Uh, at law, the word deposit is meaningless. The law courts and various judgments have made it very clear if you give your money to a bank, even though it's called a deposit, this money is simply a loan to the bank. That's true. Yeah. So there is no such thing as a deposit. So you think it's probably adequately named then? So mm. banks borrow from the public. Okay, so that much we've established. What about lending? Surely they're lending money. Um, no, they don't. Banks don't lend money. Banks, again, at law, it's very clear, they're in the business of purchasing securities. That's it. So you say, okay, don't you know, confuse me with all that legalese. No. I want a loan. I want a loan. Yeah. Fine. Here's the loan contract. Here's the offer letter, and you sign. At law, it's very clear. You have issued a security, namely a promissory note, and the bank is going to purchase that. That's what's happening. Put at it law. in layman's terms. What does that mean? It means that um, what the bank is doing is very different from what it presents to the public that it's doing. How does this fit together? So you say, fine, the bank purchases my promissory note, but how do I get my money? I want, you know, it's a I loan, want I want my money. Grand, right? I don't care about the details, I want the money. The bank will say, well, you'll find it in your account with us. That would be technically correct. If they say, we'll transfer it to your account, that's wrong, because no money is transferred at all. It's already from in anywhere inside the bank or outside the bank. Why? Because what we call a deposit is simply the bank's record of its debt to the public. Now it also owes you money and its record of the money it owes you is what you think you're getting as money. And that's all it is. And that is how the banks create the money supply. The money supply consists to 97% of bank deposits. And these are created out of nothing by banks when they lend because they invent fictitious customer deposits. Why? They simply restate, slightly incorrectly in accounting terms, what is an accounts payable liability arising from the loan contract having purchased your promissory note as a customer deposit, but nobody has deposited any money. I wonder how the FCA deals with this, because in the financial sector you're supposed to not mislead your customers. <laughs> um, anyway, so the banks create the money supply yes. by inventing these claims on themselves, the you know, the fictitious deposits, that can be actually positive for the economy as long as this money creation is in line with the creation of new goods and services 
uh, implementation of new technologies and therefore adding value and adding value in the economy is funded by this money creation. If that happens, and we're talking about um, business investment, productive loans, productive bank credit, you will have no inflation. These loans can also be serviced and repaid. You have a stable economy without problems and with low inequality. And so countries that achieve this, that the banks lend mainly for productive purposes, whether it's Germany in much of its 200-year history or um, in the last sure. century, the East Asian economies where bank credit was largely for productive purposes, then you're fine. But there's two more cases. I quickly need to point them out because that's the contrast. But, but just, just, just clarify that, that inequality is, is significantly it's lower. Lower, yes. Inflation is low. If, if, yes. And, and, the real, and, the, and the real economy is booming, yes. That's when bank credit creation is focused on um, productive lending for productive purposes. As opposed to speculation and, and asset as, price. As opposed to, there are two other types. If banks create credit for consumption, it's yes. obvious what's going to happen. You suddenly have more money create, created and more demand for goods, but it's the same amount of goods and services. So you're creating consumer price inflation. Price That's goes. well understood, and, and central banks are watching that a little bit. And what's but the what's, what's less well understood is, and what's the biggest in the UK, um, it's probably more than 70% of all lending, um, actually way more than that, um, is bank credit creation, so money creation uh, for financial transactions, for asset transactions, for purchasing ownership rights. Now then you have a problem. Why? Because you're creating new money, but you're not creating new goods and services. You're simply constant, aren't they? You're giving somebody new purchasing power over existing assets and therefore you must push up asset prices. So this you can, you can draw a chart where you show you know, asset prices, land prices, property prices in the UK, and it will match very closely, as, as we have, I've shown in, in Japan and other countries. And that also creates the inequality. So when the, the banking sector has focused too much on unproductive lending, and the UK is dominant. It strikes me that what you're telling me, and tell me I'm wrong, is that lending in order to get around this deposit stroke loan situation needs to be categorized. You're right, exactly. Is that right? That's right. Um, we need to look at where the money is going. That makes a whole world difference. of difference. Okay. So if money, is, is bank credit, is extended for productive purposes, you're fine. You'll get a good economy, no inflation, and financial stability. And also, you don't have this inequality problem. And do you think there should be different capital ratios towards no. each? No, the whole Basel capital approach doesn't work. Why? Because it's, it's premised on the idea that banks are just financial intermediaries. But they're not. They're money creators. We need bank regulation that recognizes reality of how the banks actually operate. So what you're saying, this is a regulation problem? Clearly, yes, it's a regulation problem. That's right. We need uh, different regulation. And the only regulation that actually has succeeded in, in history, and we have good data for the 20th century in particular, in preventing asset bubbles and banking crises, which are all driven by this bank credit for financial transactions. You know, leads to this asset boom, and it's, it's a game of musical chairs. You know, you have to play it. Mm -hmm. It's rational to play it while the music is playing, which is how asset prices are driven by ever more bank credit for financial transactions. The moment it stops, asset prices fall. You get the first bankruptcies. Banks get risk-averse. The whole thing goes into reverse, and banks go bust. But you can avoid this, and the only regulation that has succeeded in avoiding this is guidance of bank credit. Simple rules. Um, the simplest form of bank credit guidance is to simply ban bank credit for um, financial transactions. It doesn't mean financial transactions are bad. No, let the speculators speculate and let them even borrow money, but not from banks. 
that would make a whole world of difference. Who do they borrow it from? Well, they can issue bonds or you know borrow in the markets, whatever they want. But that's risk reward. But they, they shouldn't get access to the public privilege of money creation. You I see? know what you mean. Yeah. And that creates the problem. That creates the boom-bust cycles. But in some countries, they've succeeded in preventing this asset inflation. Which ones? Such as Germany, without even credit guidance, by having a banking structure, a banking system that's dominated by banks that don't want to do this financial speculation in the first place. These are the community banks. So Germany with 70% well, of banks. you the Landers Bank? Being, yeah. No, not no. the Landers Bank, the smaller ones. The 1,500 okay. right. Volksbank and Raiffeisen Bank. Okay. They're actually the main banks in Germany. There's so many of them. Each is small. And they lend mainly for productive purposes to small and medium-sized enterprises. The Mittelstand, which has been the backbone of German economic success for the last 200 years despite wars and disasters, has only been successful because they also have to have local small banks funding them all the way through. That doesn't exist in the UK and that's been why the small and medium-sized enterprise sector always has, has had a problem in the UK. So we're stuck with speculation and horrific property porn renovation shows. Well, the solution is of course to create these small banks. We need to create small banks. They're the natural lenders to small firms. The public wants stable growth, None of those boom-bust cycle, banking crisis, public money used to bail out banks. People don't want that. In Germany, these community banks it's very dominant, because they've never used public money. In these 200 years, not a single one has ever been bailed out with public money, and no depositor has lost any money. Although, Richard, your argument is complex, principles are terribly simple. It is very simple. And although, you are, I although you are a little defeatist... I'm not def you yeah, maybe I'm defeatist, I'm, but, but I like it. But uh, it's just the idea of, how can I put it, Go on. Getting, getting through the regulatory, they are so reluctant. But that's why it is hard work. But that's, hard why work. We, that's why we got you in. We're going to have you I think it's, uh, it's, I, I, think, I, I have to say, uh, this has been brilliantly explained. Has the UK got a finance curse? Is it a trick question? Because the UK doesn't have finance. The City of London has, and it's not part of the UK. Good answer. Good answer. It's international, is right. The city of London is outside the United Kingdom. Did you know that? It's, it's really shocking. And it, therefore, it's also not part of the EU, which explains uh, the. It couldn't be part of the EU because you have to have democratic elections, and the city of London doesn't, right? It's, it's the banks that have the votes, right? Right. Per staff, you know. Well, the voting like that. How, do you, how do you start yeah. unpicking this puzzle? I never knew. That's a very useful piece of information. And of course, it's not part <laughs> of the UK. And, <laughs> and it's not part of the UK because the Queen is not allowed to enter without permission. She's not the sovereign. Therefore, it's not part of the UK. You know. And of course, that's since you know 1688. Oh, I have to make a note since the foreign invasion. <laughs> Tune in every Sunday from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on the Bottom Line with Joey L. <laughs> on the new Evolution Radio Network. All right, all right, all right. Peace to God. I'm back. Yeah. All right, so that was a lot of information, and hopefully you was able to take it in. Hopefully y'all was able to digest it. I know sometimes it's hard to understand what the accents, what they're saying, but he just told you that was, that was a professor. I spent five years researching this shit. And he just told you how banks don't lend money. You create the money. Pretty simple. So pretty simple. I put it twice on purpose for y'all too, so that you can go back and listen to it again. 
in case you didn't catch it. Alright. Let's go to the call line. Let's play seven three four six eight six. What's happening? Seven three four six eight six. Because you gonna have left fucking booty. Seven three four six eight six. Straight up. Now I got ninety dollars worth. Alright. Go to two four oh three two oh. Peace, Joe. What's going on? It's all good. What's happening? Yeah, it was um, it was really interesting on uh, everything that was being said. I think the first, first when I got introduced to this information about a year ago, um, the first thing that I was showed was um, like a really long reading about checks and balances and, and liabilities and assets and how uh, when banks take in those promissory notes that creates an asset and they got to offset right. it by creating the liability which is the ledger, how they get that yeah, mortgage that ledger balance. Yep. yeah ledger that's what yep. yeah, off bank ledgers yep. I, I knew what it was I had an idea but that pretty much like put the nail in the coffin like kind of really helped tie things together no doubt yeah cause that's really what it is man I mean we, we, we creating that money out of thin air, and but we're not really the beneficiaries of the creation of it, right? We become and like a second when, beneficiary of it. And I'm glad I came across this because um, one of the things that, like, when I tried talking to other people about the information that you, Akeem, and, and Jonah like talk about, is people start bringing ethics and morality into it. Like, oh, you're you're suing companies. <laughs> Or you're 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 agreeing to pay the loan back, and then you want to pay him back a little bit amount, and they will sue him over that. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, right? Because people don't understand that it's not a morale issue. It's not. It's really not. It, it has nothing to do with with your morals, man. It comes down to the law. And right, I, I remember having this conversation with a white dude, and I was trying to tell him how to get rid of his mortgage. He's like, "Oh, that sounds like fraud, man. I don't get down with that stuff." Okay. All right. And don't matter how this much you first got into the information. Mm-hmm. When I first got into the information. I was trying to show everybody the laws and shit. And, you know, it's just, it's like for everybody. Nah, it, it's like this is uh, this is why you got specific groups of people who make hundreds of millions of dollars in banking, and then those who don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just a lot of people. I'm like, well, if it is morality. If you want to bring that into it, then you should look at it from not just from me doing it to them. You should look at how they're doing it to you and to everybody else. They they're taking so yeah, much no money and making so much <clears throat> money off of your signature every day, and you don't even know about it. And here I am trying to show you the law on how it happened, on why it happened, and I'm the bad guy. That that yeah, hurt yeah, I remember my pops lost his house ten years ago. Clear. I mean, so my pops lost his house ten years ago today, um, in the mortgage crisis, right? Mm. And and he was behind and tried to pay his mortgage, and they wouldn't let him pay. It. They told him, "No, we're not letting you pay it." What? Took his own. Okay. So right. you can imagine for people who didn't know. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's just one person. You talking about 
talking to millions of people all around the country. Right. And um, she said, uh, let me go back. She's, in that first clip that you played, she said something about yep. a securitization uh, audit. That's right. It was two, two of them. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, a securitization audit. Yep, SEC audit. And what was the, uh, you, the second? You do a securitization one? audit. Um, I I, didn't, I don't remember the second one you said, but the securitization okay. audit. It's where, you, it's where you go in, <clears throat> essentially, you, you pull you pull them two sick numbers, mm-hmm. where they securitize that node. That's all that is. So, in relation to like, let's say real estate investing, because um, I remember him saying something about that as well. Um, he was saying that before something happens, you should go either to the bank or, or do something to try to sue them because the house was already paid off before you should even pay them back. Yeah, well, not them yeah, back, but yeah I, I, I almost agree with that, right? Because it's like, okay, you signed the note, so what he's saying is before you even start uh, um, paying them on the note, you should implement a suit. Right. right? Because, I think you have what? Because they can't... Because the note and... The uh, the deed can't be separate. Yeah, and it makes them null and void if they are. That's right. That's right. Supreme Court case. I was trying to catch the case. I'm about to go back and like catch the case, and I'll do a show over that case. But uh, mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's a pretty solid foundation to stand on. You know, that part that can't separate on how they got. They, it, that part kind of lost me you know, on how they got separated the the, the note and the what was, what was the second part of it? Yeah, so you got the D and then you got the note, and they take one of them and uh-huh. securitize. That's the one. That's the one you sign. They take one of them, so that so basically they take one of them and give it to you to sign and say you're going to pay it back. And they take the other one and they securitize it as well. They securitize both of them. They take the other one and then they turn around and they they put it in trade almost. <laughs> what they do is is they insure it. Right? So what mm-hmm. happens is is that when you don't pay it and you default on it, the insurance company pays them for the note. So that's what happened to your father, right? That's what happened to my father and a whole lot of people, yeah. Oh man. Yeah. That's probably it's, why they wanted to they rather have they rather have that, that insurance money a- then. Well, that's what the whole mortgage crisis was about. It was about them selling bad notes. Mm. You know? Yeah, I think I was only like 10 years old when I happened, so I didn't know what happened. Yeah, this is this, this is why AIG um, sued um, uh, uh, Bank of America, because Bank of America was, was, was selling mortgage notes, good and bad. Niggas with good credit, niggas with bad credit. Who, who, who couldn't afford to pay even pay back the notes that they signed, but they were selling it anyway. And when you but say the reality sell, of that, it is, that is that it's all paid back anyway. It's all paid back. Right, because the promissory note. Yeah, the promissory. It was a promise to pay. I promise you I'm going to pay something. 
that's all the student loans are, right? They're promising, you know, the promises to pay. I promise I will pay. Right. Let's look at the at the actual definition of it, though, because I um I think that that would be best. Let me pull it up. Okay, so here it is: promissory note. Promissory note is a signed document containing a written promise to pay a stated sum to a specified person or the bearer at a specified date on on demand. Think about uh. Federal Reserve notes. Those are promissory notes too. They got two signatures on them. It's got a specified amount, and you can use it for public and private debt. But it's only yep. good because somebody signed it, and you put your faith into it. The same thing that happens with the, with a mortgage and, and your car note and everything else that they securitize. Pretty interesting process. Yeah, and he was saying uh, the clip was also talking about. He was like, and here you have um, a note that isn't notarized and is just. And he started going into that. I gotta listen back to that part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what he's saying is, is that when you go and sign up for a mortgage and you sign the note. There's no notary present. They don't notarize you. If it, if it wasn't witnessed by a notary, it doesn't count. Not in the court of law. It, it technically is not supposed to be admissible as evidence. Remember, mm. a notary stipulates the facts. A judge just rules on the facts. So you need a notary around to stipulate the fact that there actually was an agreement. That's why he mentioned the notary being there. There was no notarial process. Got you. Got you. And um, yeah. I'm looking back at some of the stuff that I wrote down a while ago, or last week. It was, um, since we're on the topic of, of money, it was how I noticed it was pretty interesting how around this time, Christmas time, that the housing market goes down. Because I was talking to uh, my friends, and he was saying that best time to buy a house is around the winter time because that's when investors are really going for it. But the housing ain't nobody market... Buy, ain't nobody buying houses down. right now. Right. You know, so you know, the you know what they're buying right now? They're buying Christmas gifts. And like, uh, that's what I'm saying. That's the crazy part is that you have... The, the housing market is normally booming around the, the springtime, summertime, and then it dies off around the, the wintertime, and then electronics and, and all these other things and clothing starts ramping up. Cause I noticed, um, like even Sprint. Sprint was offering a 50-inch TV for free if you got a, a, a service with them. Yeah. And I saw another one. It was like, yeah. uh, I think it was like the big screen store was like, buy a TV. No, no, no. For two thousand dollars, you get a, a 75-inch, 65-inch, and a 55-inch TV. So it's just crazy how it's like the market is. Not the market, but the economy is they always finding something to ramp up around. Oh, yeah, that well, that's what they do. I mean, I mean, it's a it's a it's a buyer's economy, but it's also uh, a, a a business owner's economy overall because Trump, anyway, has been in the office, you understand? So, 
I mean, <clears throat> people are going to are going to spend their money on useless things, mm. but those things keep the economy going. When we start talking about things like people making some of the biggest purchases of their life, what they call mortgage payments, right? That's a, or buying mm-hmm. a house, get, getting under a mortgage because mortgage means more is is uh, is is death. Engage is a pledge, so you're making a, a death pledge, a pledge to your death with a mortgage, <laughs> right? And, and and I mean that's a big undertaking. So yeah, you ain't getting a lot, a lot of people. People are not buying houses, you know what I'm saying? This time of year as much because they spending all their money on all the shit, and they paying their mortgage payment. Exactly. And then they want to make it seem as though it's like you're getting a, a good deal on everything. Well, consumer, I guess it is a good deal, huh? Yeah. Well, um, I only have one last question, which was, um, so if I'm trying to do a, a case for someone, I think I kind of heard it on another show. I'm, I just want to get confirmation. Um, but where... Where would I be able to? What would I look up if I'm trying to figure out how to do a case for someone else? Like, if I want to. Well, actually, let me put it this way. So, I had someone who had, did the third party debt collector in the no contact contract. That company turned around. As soon as they got the no contact, they um, transferred the by, debt. By or, the suit? Or they transferred it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they reassigned it. So. He gave me the verbal okay to go ahead and go through the suit, but he doesn't want to really do anything. Could I just get a power of attorney to handle his courtwork for him, or how would I go about that? Well, you can you can do the paperwork for him, no problem, but in terms of showing up for court, he still has to do that. Oh, gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the only problem. He well, still got to stand on his square if he, want, if he wants some money. Nah, the problem is I'm dealing with people who mentally ain't there yet and and still afraid of court. So they 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 just ain't nothing to be afraid of already in the court. They don't arrest you on that side of court. It's still hard to try to tell people that people who don't understand court at all because they don't see it as though arresting. Well, they do, but the problem is that they just see court, and then you think of people like Johnny Cochran and then all the shows and everything and you don't yeah. want to touch none well, of that right yeah it don't need to be like that well I mean the whole thing about it is people gotta stand on their own square right and one crazy thing was when I went to a uh, federal court and I was talking to not the clerk but I guess their assistant and she was saying I was talking to her about the procedure and I was like at first she wasn't trying to tell me anything and then I was like wait it's probably because of the procedure so I was like well based on this what is it that you've seen happen next and she was like well since you're representing yourself there's more than likely you'll never see the inside of the court courthouse and I was like why is that she was like because people who come in pro se um, they don't want a lot of that stuff going on the record, so they rather just go straight to settlement and get rid of it. Yeah, that that's way. true. Yeah, it's true. 
That's true. It's true. Mm-hmm. It's true. That creates, was just crazy. It, it creates, it, it, yeah, listen, it, it creates what they call a um, a public controversy. You understand? Right. Nobody wants a public um, controversy. <laughs> right. I, I, I don't remember where I looked it up at, but there's there's somewhere or, online or, that you or, can look or, up. Or, or, or they call it a compelling public interest. I think I understand why. No, I think I understand why, though. I'm going to read the definition to you, though. A compelling state or government interest is an element of strict scrutiny test by which courts exercise judicial review of legislative and executive branches. uh, Excuse me. Legislative and executive branch enactments that affect constitutional rights, such as those found in the First Amendment. Right? So... If it's a if it's a compelling interest, like a constitutional question almost, right? Mm-hmm. Something where if you put it into the public, it can have a great effect on the public, meaning they can't do some of the shit that they're doing. They're not going to put it on the record, right? Because they let that cat out the bag, then like, oh, you right, 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 right. You got it. Hey, brother, kind of, keep it moving, man. Got a lot of people sitting in, man. I love to keep talking to you, That's all good. Got a lot of people in. That's all peace, right? guys. Appreciate, appreciate it. All right, peace to the God. Peace. Let's go to 610-726. Peace to the God, bro. brother Joey. How you doing, my brother? Peace to the Good, brother. How are you? Peace to the God. I'm doing great today. I'm doing great, man. Yeah, thanks for continuing this topic. You know, because it was fire last week when he was talking to me, man. That yeah, was, yeah, no doubt. You know, I know a lot of people were signing on that dotted line, and um, you know, they get get in that get in that basket. Don't know how to get out of it after that. Yeah, it's hard but, to. Uh, well, you know that rescission that rescission is a very important tool. Um, when it comes to getting out of contract. That rescission, they use that rescission along with the process thing. Now, a lot. I, I take it that a lot of people don't use the, um, the line out rule anymore either. You know, line out what you don't agree with in the contract. You know, <laughs> and, uh, you know that's. You know, I, I I don't think a lot of people know that message, um, but. You know that's that's very true. Yeah, you're supposed to line that out. It's just like Jonah talking about the passport out. You know, you're supposed to do that. You know, so yeah, it is a, it is relevant. The line out rule, and then now, did nobody ever say that they wasn't going to give you the house after you use the line out rule? No, they didn't. Nobody ever said <laughs> that they gonna, it, it, or just like the contract doesn't tell you how to pay for the house. No. You know, I, it, 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 it yeah. always intrigued me and before I understood this, how you could go in and somebody says, oh, I got approved for $250,000 for a house, and I just got to go pick out the house. Well, why didn't they cut you a check? I might change my mind and want to go buy a $150,000 house. See? See what I'm saying? And that's the part when I'm breaking down now because I'm, 
I'm trying to wrap my head around. Once you sign that note, you should be actually getting a check because they actually purchased it. They purchased it from you. You should they, be getting a, a check, but you don't get a check because they double dip. They turn around and they take your signature, right? Make you think that you're buying the house, which you are. But then they make then they make you think that you got to pay the house back. So then they turn around and give you that that note to sign. You sign that note, it's a wrap. Now they now they got you. They effectively have double dipped. Uh, uh, uh. Slick, slick, slick. Yeah, man. They double. Sometimes they triple dip. <coughs> but I mean, well, when the they get that investment. That's what you so talking about. Work. Triple dip when they go for when, when they get the investor money, they triple. That's the triple ain't triple dip was when they get yeah. the, the investor money too. To uh, work yeah. now, what's that? That's just to make sure you don't default. So that's the other side. So they're gonna pay for it both on both sides. Well, yeah, so they, so they insure it. Right, so they insure it. Then they take your note and they and they securitize it. Get paid off of that. Then they get paid off when you make your payments, cause you cause you agreed to make payments. And you were saying last week that what this is the 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 way they make their most of their money, like the the country, you know, they funding everything off of these mortgages and stuff, like um, everything the biggest funded stuff. off of off of uh, for real estate backs, uh, uh, mortgage mortgage backed security bonds. Real estate mm-hmm. bonds, yeah. This is how, yeah, this is how the United States is operating. Not a secret. There's information anywhere. This is why they have um, um, QCIP, the Committee on the Uniform uh, Identification Security Committee, right? This is why you you got that. And they put QCIP numbers on everything because they securitize everything with QCIP numbers. So that's where the QCIP comes in. And you were saying that that's the yep. number that they use. For the security tasting on it, that's something that you use, that you get. It has something to do with the QCIP number. That's right. It's all about QCIPs, man. They, anytime you go look at the mortgage, the mortgage got a QCIP number on it. Mm-hmm. Hey, Jelly, um, thanks for playing that song, too, man. Your birth certificate yeah. got it. <laughs> it back. When they um, you know, I I can't get too much to it on the air, but I mean, you know, the the private side of the stock market is all done off of security. Everything's done off security, man. Yes. Okay. Shoot, man, I don't I don't got really much. I was just I just wanted to rap with you a little bit about that. My mom just sold her house. She told me today, um. And she had to pay off, uh, I guess she got a loan on it to fix the roof a couple years ago. So she had a loan out on it. Now, I guess she just sold it the house today. So I guess now she's going to pay those people back now and pay that off and keep the rest of the money. She's, you know, she's doing it the Good. regular way. But well, you yeah. know, it, it, hey, it, as long as it gets paid, whether she does it that way or the other way, it's done. You know? Yeah, man. 
So that's the that's the one this is tying into what she's doing. I'm watching her thing go down and then your two shows in the last two weeks was tying right into it. Um Yeah, no doubt, man. Well, you know, it's important for us to understand that money mechanics. I I, I recommend everybody will get that book too, Modern Money Mechanics. It's a good book to to so start reading and it will break a lot of this down for you. I mean, I mean, this shit, man. Let me tell you something, bro. Money is really what you make it because we create money out of thin air. So once you understand the money game, the commerce game, where everything else starts to make sense, it makes sense a lot of they keep people from claiming nationality. That's crazy. You know, they got it. All of the banking laws. Yeah. All of the banking laws are subject to U.S. citizens. That you know, here yeah, at least yeah. here, all of the securities laws. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what that's what that they All the money laws. Yeah, the money laws affect U.S. citizens. That's the law. Elaborate scheme. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is. Game. Gotta give them props. They did a good job. You had to get people asleep for a bit, though. You had to you had to get a person off their game for a little bit first, though, to get that off. Cause that was a whole lot to get off now. <laughs> oh, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> but, you know, you know, but the, but the thing is, is people willingly do it, though, because it's not like they don't tell you. They tell you in the mortgage. Straight up, what they're doing. They actually, they actually tell you that they're securitizing it. So they don't True. even hide that from you. But, but when niggas get so excited to get the keys mm-hmm. to, to the car, to the house, mm-hmm. we, we, we just sign on the line. Because we excited. So, yeah, so but, we can get over yeah, these emotions. We can get to the next level. Once again, man, yep. appreciate, I appreciate you all the time, brother. And um, yeah, no I'm going to stay in touch with you. I think we're going to okay, be getting bro. a consultation to me and my soon because we're going through this summary judgment. And um, we want to get a consultation for you sometime this week um, to make sure we're putting that in right and everything. So. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll talk to you soon. All right, bro. Thank, thank you, Joey. Take care peace. of yourself. All right, no doubt. All right, guys. Peace. Let's go to uh, Alright, 602 686. What's going down? Let's open up your mic. There we go. 602 686. Can you hear me? Yep. Peace to the God. What's up, Joey? Hey, uh, question about the accord and satisfaction. Um, been li- reading a little bit of case law, and then I got a letter back stating that uh, they're declining. They didn't return it, they cashed it. But they're just saying, well, it's not a – they're using the language meeting of the minds. 
So basically, it's not a mutual agreement. And that yes, was my only concern before I before I go yes, yes, before I go into court. Yes, that was is. my only concern. Yes, it is. It is a meeting of the minds because because they took the they took the contract. Got it. Um, but yeah, that that was my only concern about that. I mean, I I've been uh, listening to the show for about six months. Maybe a little longer, okay. and then I go back into the archives, and and I hear a lot, a lot of good people talking in the about. Archives. Oh yeah, Shh. tell me about it. <laughs> yeah, I've been addicted. Tell, I have my wife's over mm-hmm. here. Uh, hey, when are you gonna come to bed? <laughs> um, <laughs> but what I was trying to get right. at is, uh, <laughs> what I was trying to get at is, I hear a lot of people talk about the court of satisfaction, about they're gonna about about to go and file, and you know they're gonna default them out, yada yada yada. But I never hear anybody call in with success that they won their case, and that was my, that was another concern of mine too. Yeah, no, that's so, actually in the archives. You gotta go. You gotta go back in the archives. Um, there've actually been a few people who have won, according to that. Um, there also have been people who have taken it to court, and then they end up settling out of court, right? And some people, yeah. Um, like I had, one, I had one guy. He had one with Sprint. He won. But then he was under a uh, non-disclosure agreement. So he couldn't talk about it. Yeah. He, yep. he couldn't even come on the air and talk about it. Yeah, I hear people talking about that, too. I was just uh, – yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. spir- you, spiritually, you I feel good guys, about it. You my show. Yeah, spiritually, I feel good about it. It's just like mm-hmm. that's what made me really go read case law about it. You know, I found some good that's stuff what, in there, and then I found people losing, too. But um, – Okay, so let me read something to you. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this. This is the definition of a mutual agreement. It says a mutual agreement is a binding contract between two or more parties and can cover any contingency. The difference between a mutual agreement and a settlement not creating a trust is determined by the operative words, i.e. mutually agrees or settles. Right? So yep. when you sent that according to satisfaction, they settled with you because they took the mutual agreement. That was the mutual agreement was that I was gonna make a payment to you. I made a payment to yep. you. The payment has specific notation on it. You didn't take note of it. Um, therefore it's paid off. Now what I'll also do though is make sure that you uh notify the CEO because under the law Well, I'm going um, up the I'm you, going up against the the city of Phoenix here in Arizona. Oh, you're going up against the city of Phoenix. Okay. Yeah, so, it's over. Um, it's over some petty traffic ticket. It was five hundred bucks. We sent in forty five dollars. Yeah. So, city director, um, whoever is over the city, wh- whoever yeah. runs the city, usually the city director. Mm-hmm. That's who you're gonna direct that to. Um, also, that's your comptroller. Don't forget about the comptroller. Yep. You go to the comptroller of currency in in your particular state. <laughs> make them aware of what's going on. Make them aware that they're not following. This entity is not following the law. Yeah. Um, and that's another request for you. Well, you think Monday? Well, tomorrow, shoot, Monday, um, my notary is already about to send them a default, and that's the last step to where. Do you think I should prep the lawsuit and then send it to Comptroller and show them all the evidence with it? Mm, I think that you or should go ahead and contact just send the Comptroller a, um, by okay. letter and, and be preparing the suit at the same time. Gotcha. 
Okay. And then I think I hit I, I think I hit you up, but I know you're busy about I was looking for the actual if I don't think you have it on your site, but the actual complaint for accord and satisfaction. So I don't have to go in and spend a lot of time on putting it together. It's quite it's quite oh, easy yeah, when you have yeah, it all so, laid out already. Yeah. Oh for sure. Yeah, for sure. So so actually, um if you need a complaint for accord and satisfaction, um you'll have to hit me in the private and we'll have to create one for you. Okay. Yep. And then I have one other, one yeah, other question, yeah, and I don't, want, I don't want to take too much time from other people too, but I have one other question. I put in a, a lawsuit in federal court, and I used the affidavit to affidavit of uh, pretty much there's no money open, open court. Yeah, open court. Yeah. yeah. They do and there was no way around. Yeah, yeah. And there was no way around mm-hmm. uh, me filling out their affidavit of you know pretty much I'm broke. <laughs> uh, so I had to fill mm-hmm. it out. But, I put, so, I, I so attached this, that this to it happens. also. Yeah, this, yeah, that's what I'm saying. This is what happens. They, they make you attach that to it. And then they try to play like um, that's not the reason. Because remember, they don't want to admit bankruptcy. So they try to play exactly. like, you know what I'm saying? Because um, <laughs> here's the other thing, too. You can use the Constitution. The Constitution says the courts of justice should be open at all times. Yeah, I threw that in there too. Without Uh, fail, trial, or delay. Mm -hmm. So the very fact that they make you attach that to it, they know what it is. They just have formalities that they have to do because of what type of court they are. Yeah. Well, my my only concern with that was it's been 60 days and I still have no response back. Oh, you need to contact them. I, I have, and they said, well, the judge hasn't ruled on it yet, or, you know, they haven't really gave me a, a real answer about it. Um, There may be a court rule um, specifically for you to make the court move. Sometimes you have to do that. Sometimes you have to invoke them to make the, actually make them move and make the judge rule. Um, so go file a motion a for... Yeah, sometimes you may have to file, you may have to file a motion Um I'm not for certain what that motion would be called. I, I would have to do a little yeah. research for you on that. We can figure that out. Got it. But um, the best thing to do, man, is contact me in the private. We, we can figure it out. Got it. Cool. All right. Well, I appreciate Set everything you guys been doing me, man. We, we can go through it. All right. All righty. Yep. Thank you so much. Okay, my man. All right. No problem. All right. Peace. All right. Bye. Yep, see, he's, um, he's dealing with issues that a lot of people are dealing with. So, you, you, right, you right there, dude. You right there. 734-686. Peace to the God. How's it going tonight? Peace to the God. I'm good. How are you, brother? Peace to the God. I'm doing good. Yeah, this is an interesting... I, I caught some of your, uh, show last Friday, um... On the uh, the rerun, because I'm at work on, uh, on Fridays when that show's on, and uh, oh, okay. it's interesting okay. to find out about what's going on with the mortgage and stuff. Now I knew what it meant because I've heard it from a few other people in the past, yep. but you know, just to know that you know I've already paid for this, and then you're gonna charge me <laughs> and for yeah. the next thirty years, fifteen years. Whatever mortgage I end up getting, that's just, it's fucking yeah. crazy to me. 
Yeah, yeah. I it mean, is. It's just, it, it, it really is. I, I remember having this conversation with people, and I'm like, yo, you, you, you know that mortgage is already paid off, but you know what the fear is? is people don't want to lose their homes, so people don't want to challenge right. it. And then you get some people, right. like, I've actually seen more women say fuck it and challenge it than men. <laughs> I've right. more women say fuck it and go after the government and and start lawsuits against them. So it really, man, that's really what it is. It's the finger factor. Right. Right. Yeah, there was a couple questions I wanted to ask. Mm-hmm. And um, well, I I don't know. I was thinking, I was just thinking about. I wanted to. Uh, trade stocks and cryptocurrency. Now, how would that work? Would I have to do like a, a, a public type kind of thing? Or, because I know I, or I cannot be, pri- I, I want to be private and do it, but I don't think I can, so I wanted to ask that question. Well, well, well you can be private um, and, and, and trade stocks and cryptocurrency. Um, you would just have to have a trustee do it for you. For, for your ah. benefit, right? You understand? Um, okay. That's how you would do it from the private. Now, obviously, if you're doing it from the public, you know, they, a lot of times when you set up an account like with Fidelity, um, different mutual funds, shit like that, um, you know, trade accounts, they want your social security number, um, or you give them an estate number. Okay. If you're gonna do it, in, if you're gonna do it in the public, but if you're gonna do it in the private, you just do it through a trustee. Nice. Okay, cool, cool. And the other question I wanted to ask now, I'm getting ready. I got one more uh, money order to send out, and I'm going to start this according satisfaction. Um, I wanted to do the whole 90 days before I initiated the first enforcement letter. But I was wondering, once I do, once I default them and they don't act on that, how do I... What do I? How do I represent myself when I go to court? Do I go in there as the so illegal? Do I go uh, in there as the as well, under see, the spiritual? Okay, well, that's, that's a good question. So, if you're not operating in the private, then and your contract is in that public name, you just go in there and represent the public name because the, the concept okay. of of according satisfaction is based on the name on that contract between one party and the other. So if it's your name okay. on on one end of the contract and, and AT&T's on the other, that's who the contract is between. Um, you know, okay. it, it may not be between your spiritual name and that other name. Now, if you got everything together and, and you know how to come in as the beneficial owner, the first lien holder over that estate, which is doing business as that name, then that's a different story uh-huh. if you know how to stand on that square. But a lot of people okay. don't, and so I don't recommend. I don't recommend that you. Because what happens? What happens, huh? You start you start mixing stuff up. And you'll you'll confuse yourself, and then you'll confuse them, and they'll be like, "Sir, do you even know what you're talking about in here?" You know what I'm saying? Right. They'll come at you like that. Okay. They'll come at you like you don't know what you're talking about. Okay. All right. So That's I would recommend that that if the yeah, if the contract's in the straw man's name. Do the suit in the straw man's name. Okay. And be done. Yeah, because this is going to be my first suit, time the in court. In mm-hmm. so. Oh, it's the first time. 
Well, yeah, it's gonna be in your feet wet. I do recommend, just like the other brothers that um that was just on the line, you take your time and you go through those those cases for a court of satisfaction. Okay. There's a case, and I'm gonna give y'all a case you guys can go on YouTube. And I've, I've actually played this on the air before, but you go on YouTube, pull up the case, type in a court of satisfaction, type in mortgage behind it, and what's gonna okay. what's gonna pop up for you is um there's a case. Specifically, where uh, the judge told the guy, the lawyer, he's like, you know, if your client uh, didn't want to pay this off, this mortgage, you know, they should have sent uh, a check back. They shouldn't have cashed it. You know, so it's very, it gives you very good insight to what judges will say about court and satisfaction. And you can use some of these opinions. It's evidence. Okay. Now, and I and I almost recommend that, man. I think people forgetting that, man. If there's a case. Where there was a precedent set, right? And especially in that state or in that particular court, um, where uh-huh. a court satisfaction was grant was granted to somebody, you you might want to pull that try to pull the case and use it as, as okay. evidence in your case. Okay. Just to show where All right. precedent had already been set. Okay. okay. Cool. Thank right. you. Cool. All right, no doubt. Peace to the God. All right, let's go to um, six four six nine zero seven. Peace to the God. Peace to the God. This Ramel, man, what's good? Peace. Right, yeah, I got yeah, something for that on, dude bro? from Arizona. I'm good. I got something for the dude in Arizona because I was just living in Arizona, and I actually filled out a, a form papyrus for uh for eviction case. Okay, so. I'm going to give him the, the direct section if his brother is listening. I'm going to read what he needs to use, okay? I think he jumped and, off. And every, I think he jumped off, but go ahead and drop it anyway. I'm going to go ahead because he might listen to it again. You know, it's all good. All right? So it says right here in section 24. I'm going to read the whole thing, but at the bottom it's going to get to it. Um, section 24 of the Arizona 1910 Arizona Constitution. This is in the Declaration of the Rights Prop, um, Department. In criminal prosecutions, the accused shall have the right to appear in the defendant person and by counsel to demand the nature and cause of the accusation against him to have a copy thereof to testify on his own behalf to meet the witness against him face to face to have compulsory process to compel the attendance of witness in his own behalf to have a speedy public trial by an impartial jury of the county in which the offense is alleged to have been committed in the right to appeal in all cases and in no instance shall any accused person before final judgment be compelled to advance money or fees to secure the rights here and granted guaranteed. There it is. There it is. That's all he, he needs and, to use. And, 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 he can and use. Mm-hmm. drop where it's at again? The location of that? That's in uh, the, the Declaration of right? Uh, Rights. It's the 1910 mm-hmm. Arizona Constitution. Uh, it's it's uh, Section 24. And then at the very mm-hmm. bottom, you see, like, the last three sentences. You see what I'm saying? That's what I use. Sure, I use sure. that part, and I use no taxation part where it says religious yep, organizations and all that stuff like that. Boom. I wrote it on a separate sheet of paper, attached it to the uh, form papyrus. And of course, on the form papyrus, I, edited, I scratched out shit that I didn't like. But guess what? The judge, the, the, the clerk was like, uh, we're we going to have a... a a judge talked to you. The judge never talked to me. Then they went to say, you know what? We'll decide that after you come 
after you come to court at the end of the, at the end of the court. So I ended up not paying shit. Didn't have to go see nobody. None of that. Went in with that. Yeah, I was supposed to know. pay forty dollars. Yeah, they know. They know. But, mm-hmm. but you got to invoke that jurisdiction, and you invoke you the jurisdiction to. by doing that. And that's why, yeah, that's mm-hmm. why I was telling him it's in the Constitution. You know, you just got to mm-hmm. invoke it, man. Mhm. You got it. You got it. Article you got to invoke it. Sometimes it's sitting in your Article One. Mhm. Mhm. You got it. You got to invoke it, and then. For him, I, I live in Nevada now. I moved back to Nevada, but I know about twelve different constitutions. So I'm all around the world with this thing. But on the um, on on another thing for him, if he wants to deal with the comptroller, he's got to go downtown Phoenix to the Department of Finance, Arizona Department of Finance, and he's gonna go go to the second floor. There's there's risk management department. He can find out everything he needs to know about yeah. the. Uh, about the uh, risk management, and there's nothing but sisters on that floor. They're very nice. There you go. See, I told the brother yep. to go to the console because that's really when your court of satisfaction is not working, and you dealing with mm-hmm. the, the actual city who should be taking notice of that. Mm-hmm. Out of all people, out of all people, the, the, the government don't want to do it. That's a peon that, that's not following the law. Mm-hmm. They don't but that's what they, but but Joey, that's what the whole purpose of when we when we did our injunctions, and I didn't buy a template. I went on Jonah's um, thing, and I had wrote it wrote it mm-hmm. out. You see, what I'm saying how I was mm-hmm. listening to, it, and mm-hmm. I knew that I mm-hmm. had to study mm-hmm. my constitution. You don't need to just study. I don't tell people just to study the Bill of Rights. You need to study the Bill of Rights. You need to study the legislative department, the judicial branch, the executive branch. You need to know these things. You need to know your whole constitution. You need to know what judicial means. You need to know what the legislative part, legislature means. You need to know the executive part, yeah, department. And then all you got to constitution, man. Huh? Every section you got to go through. Th- every go section through it, of every it. Thoroughly. Yeah, thoroughly. Mm-hmm. You can't. Yeah, you can't half do it. You need. When I when I get lazy. Well, I get lazy too. We all get lazy, but when I'm bored, I read the whole. I read. I read the uh, whole Constitution. You see what I'm saying? Because I want to know what's in there. Because there's things that I can uh, use listen. in my favor. Yeah, you ain't the only one. You ain't the only one. I'm <laughs> you, I, man, I spent I a lot of time in, in that joint, highlighting and going through that joint, looking over <laughs> stuff. And you can find jewels every time you go through it. Uh-huh. You can find something good. Uh huh. Uh huh. And, 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 and before that, I just wanted to help that brother. You know what I'm saying? I've seen if I could drop something, he could listen. This could help anybody. But no, I wanted no, to talk about the money thing. The money thing, bro. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Before yeah. I ran into this movement with hindsight, which helped me trimmed off my my rough edges. You know what I'm saying? Got to think it to y'all. Right. You know what right. I'm saying? But no doubt. Everything that you do is is labor, right? Your energy. Yes, you know, and is. the biggest that's right it is the biggest uh the biggest product is the, the people you see what i'm saying so yep. when 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 they did that and everything and stuff like that how could could with the people and the people means Lenape our people all right cuz we the biggest consumer you know what i'm saying and they didn't have nothing to exchange like the letter of morocco said you know what i'm saying they was going to find some mm. way of agriculture you see what i'm saying so their so biggest they resource, that's all they that's all they had. So they was gonna take the people, come up with the birth certificate, 
and, 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 and come up with some accounts that way so they can pay. You know what I'm saying? For the That's loans right. that they That's had right. to go take out in all the other lands. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. People have to That's understand right. this. They're still paying back war debt to this day. Mm-hmm. They, yeah. they got to understand this. Mm-hmm. So, in turn, in turn, the, 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 the money, the gold and silver belong to our ancestors. <clears throat> when we got disenfranchised, right. you know what I'm saying? They had to turn us into a commodity because when these slaves came and these settlers mm-hmm. and they came here, they didn't have shit. They was drunk. They was looking for fucking beer, liquor, because that's what they was doing over there. You know what I'm saying? In Europe, the queen kicked their ass out, you know what I'm saying? Because they was nasty, filthy. They didn't want to deal with anything. You know, deal with them. They didn't. They were savages. You see what I'm saying? Well, so they came well, over here. The only thing they could do is, huh? Yeah, and, and they dropped. Yeah, and listen, and they dropped a lot of um off down in Australia mm-hmm. amongst those Aborigines. Okay, mm-hmm. they was dropping. They was they was dropping a. Um, uh, uh, um, disorderlies off everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yep. Everywhere, yep. everywhere but England. Me. Get their ass out of here. Excommunicate them. <laughs> you, 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 absolutely right. I was just talking to my pop earlier today. I haven't spoken to him in like a year. The man that raised me. You see what I'm saying? And and I found yeah. out today after I spoke to him that he been knew this information. And I told him how pop. He was like, because he's from Virginia, right? So I told him, there's a lot of history going on out there in VA, you know what I'm saying? And he was telling me that when he was raising us, uh, when he was raising us, he knew all this information. He, he learned some of this stuff in college. He went to the military. But he knew about trust, all that different things. But it was a conflict with the family, with my mom. So he could never express that to me, you know what I'm saying? So it was just today that he expressed it, and I'm about to be 33, 8 days. And, and and I was kind of blown away that my pop knew all of this stuff. You know what I'm saying? He was like, there was no way right. that I could tell you about it because at the time we were using early 20 son, and even then you had other things going on. I said, well, you could have just mentioned it to me. I, I I like to look up stuff. You see what I'm saying? And we were speaking on the same stuff. Right. Well, what you know, about the thing is, is y'all connect. Y'all connected mm-hmm. on that on that tip when y'all were supposed to. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the that's mm-hmm. the thing about it that you got to remember. It's kind of like mm-hmm. people that wake up; they wake up when they're supposed to. Right, right, right. It's all good though, because I found it out on my on my own with the help of studying and running to y'all cats and everything. And I I told him I said, "Well, pops, I know it now. You see what I'm saying? I know what's going on yeah, now. Yeah. I know it yeah, very clear. Right. You see what I'm saying?" <laughs> But yeah, man, I don't want to chop the line. I just Good wanted, to, mm-hmm. yeah, I didn't want to chop the line. I just wanted to build with you a little bit, God. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no doubt. I, I passed well, over to somebody what, else. I don't know if you got, mm-hmm. I don't know if you got kids, but but if you know, if I you do. Don't I have them, Yeah, I got you. See, the thing is, is when they get um of age, it, or even now, like I I, I watched brother Isaiah do this, you know, with his son, and I watched Jonah do it with his. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and 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 that's one thing I can say about these brothers is that they instill it in their sons early. It, you know, it becomes mm-hmm. it becomes part of what they do. You know, mm-hmm. and so the earlier that the earlier that you do it, the better it is that, that it is because then it's not as hard for them to accept shit later. 
like we give our kids mm-hmm. Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny, nigga, and then we expect them to uh, to, to believe that Santa and Jesus ain't uh, ain't white, right? <laughs> ain't yeah, you, you right know what I'm about, saying? You right about give you that. A fat yeah, white I mean. man. And, and a and a and a white man with long hair, and we and we call and we sanctify that shit. So, you know, you you, 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 you got to make Santa Claus you, nigga. You Santa Claus in that house, nigga. You Jesus. You 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 <laughs> always. But you're right about that. But see, but me, I was raised up just how uh, Joan and Akeem was. I grew up as a Joan. Oh, he was Jehovah's you know Witness, huh? Yeah. Oh, so yeah, I yeah, didn't. Yeah. I I never. You, I, I, and I always looked at it as a kid because I, I wasn't... See, this is how I was brought up, right? Because I didn't celebrate holidays and stuff like that, right? And all that stuff like that. I was never deprived of anything that I can get. So when kids try to make fun of me in school, first of all, that shit doesn't make sense. A big fat man, you can't trick the kids. I was I was a very smart kid. So it, it would just look stupid on their behalf. So when they laughed at me, I used to laugh at them. I said, you got to wait until the end of the year you got to wait to the end of the year to get something, right? But I got 365 days where I can get anything I want. All I got to do is make a good grade on my po- my progress report. Boom, I'm getting a PlayStation 2. Those same people that was waiting at the end of the year, they used right. to come over to my house to get the PlayStation 2 that I had with the colorful glow glowing controllers. You remember that, Joey? They when you had the GameStop, you had the controllers that used to glow. Oh, yeah. You could look through oh, them yeah. and see through and oh, shit. Yeah. I had, I had oh, every yeah. oh, single yeah. that was the system. I never want for nothing. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I had Atari. Right. Right. I had uh, I had a Sega Saturn, Sega CD, Game Boy, Game Gear. I had all that shit. Kids used to come over to my house. They laugh at me. I'm like, ha! I don't celebrate no holidays. It don't mean nothing to me. But I can get anything what I want. I ain't gotta wait for a holiday to do it. That's right. Yeah, that's real. That's real shit, though. But you mm-hmm. know, I, I, here's, here's the thing, man. It's all about how you grow. Mm-hmm. I, I grew up. Mm-hmm. I grew up Christian. Right, we celebrated mm-hmm. holidays and all of that shit. And then it got to the point mm-hmm. where my pops, this nigga didn't even buy nothing on Christmas for me no more. This nigga was like, man, you know enough, <laughs> man, you know what it is. Mm-hmm. You get shit, you get shit every other day. Fuck, you mm-hmm. need something special for today. He's right. <laughs> mhm. He was right, mm-hmm. but it was, I, I had to, you know, I was, I was given that mentality early that this shit is another damn mm-hmm. day. So I say that, like, look, look at how much money people are spending. Mm-hmm. Right? We, we place value on some strange shit, man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really you right so, about that, guy. You know, your, your, your kids, man, that's really where it's at. Educate them before you educate anybody else. Shit. That's what it they is. They're going to be the Got ones to carry on your tour. Got a nine-month-old daughter, and I got a uh, I got an eight-year-old son. You see what I'm saying? They're both young, oh, yeah, and, and right I'm just glad that I'm knowing to be able to teach them and and, and, and teach them young, so that way when they they be equipped, because the, the family trust has already started. Everybody got trust. Everybody. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? So no they're gonna be. It's a, it's a training. It's a training. They're gonna be very very well uh, prepared. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, and no all doubt, that. No I'm doubt. gonna let them do it right. seriously. Do it mm-hmm. No mm-hmm. Doubt. But no yeah, doubt. man, nice building with you, Joey. Man, you already know what you're talking about. You too, brother. You too. I'm, I'm gonna, gonna pass the torch, man. You the floor. Peace to the gods, man. Okay. Peace to the gods. All right. We're gonna go to uh, one, one, one. 
speak to the God. Don't tap, Joey. Okay. Uh, hey, brother, he was on it. I like that story. Yeah, he was on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, you only find, like, one person in a family that is woke. And his daddy Man, woke. That's, that's like one in 20 million. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard about people that's away. Yeah, that's why you got to be careful what woman you choose. You know, uh, huh? you ain't never lied. Boy, you ain't never lied. Say that again. Yep, she'll hold you <laughs> back. <laughs> See how that works. Brothers, be careful the woman you choose. If she ain't with it, keep it moving. There's 20 million butts, 20 million titties. Don't, don't trip. <laughs> Dang. You right about but, um, that, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, you think the, um, the housing market, you think it might crash anytime soon? Because they're building like crazy. You know, and I see I'm they're doing it all over. Yeah, I've heard I've heard a lot about a revaluation that could be coming in the first of the year, but who knows? You know, the, the thing yeah, about and I hate it, I missed that last. What the last what? The last fall, the last crash. See, they were selling houses oh, well, for ten thousand dollars. Well, hell, we all missed the last crash. <laughs> Most of us did anyway. Uh, that's what I'm looking forward but, to. You know, you know they, I'm thinking it might crash oh, yeah, again. It, I think they. Oh, it's coming. Hmm? It, it, I said it's definitely coming. I mean, we're getting close to it. I mean, you know, I, I, I don't even think it's going to be a crash. It's going to be a revaluation. A reevaluation? Truly. Yeah, it's going to be a revaluation of currency. Um, well, as long as you crash it, with, call it whatever you want to, just crash. <laughs> crash it, just yeah, crash and burn. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because the Colorado is like uh, California. Hmm? Well, it's yet to be determined, mm-hmm. you know. None yeah. of us really know. No man knows the day or nor the hour. <laughs> right. You know, I was I mean, just wondering what you thought about it. Well, I'm always prepared. So whether it happens mm-hmm. or not, I I, I kind of hope it does happen. But I need it to happen after a certain time period. I I got the things that I got yeah. I got to do. <laughs> so you know, but but mm-hmm. when it happens, <laughs> there will be a lot of new millionaires created. If you know, if you're in the know, you know, if you know mm-hmm. the bankers and all of the necessary individuals. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to. I'm trying to get there, Joey. I, I got so I got work to do, but I'm working no on. We all do. No doubt. But I heard that uh, the notary uh, is connected to the state, and you should be your own notary with the fingerprint thing. Is more powerful. Is that notary is connected to the state? To, to be or to be a notary, you got to go through the state, but. Um, I would think that it would be a conflict of interest to be your own notary. No, I mean like the not a notary, but a, you know when you use your own fingerprint. I forgot what they call it. Uh-huh. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, uh, you got to do for your fingerprint. You got to you talking about your thumbprint? Yeah. Is that more powerful than the notary? Oh, your thumbprint. Um. 
I don't think so. I don't, you know, three notaries is the tribunal. Right? And a notary mm-hmm. stipulates the facts. I don't really know how your thumbprint stipulates the facts. I can't say, I, you know, Jonah may have a, a different perspective on that. Um, but from my personal perspective, I, I would I prefer to use a notary. Now, have I used my thumbprint on documents? Yeah, absolutely. Um, a thumbprint is a seal. Very important. It's like your seal. It's like mm-hmm. your personal official seal. So, yeah, it is a seal, but I don't know if I would use it, like, for in the replacement of a notarial process. A notary is worth their weight in gold. A good notary. Okay. All right. Um, last question is the mm-hmm. I, is it ITV uh, affidavit? I have a question on number nine, first page. Which affidavit? Yeah, uh, ITV uh, affidavit for the um, student loan. The FTC affidavit. Yeah. Yeah. What about it? Number nine on the first page It says uh, the time of the fraud Your address and you know this happened Like 1990 or 89 or something like that mm-hmm. So what address can I put in there? That's, you say the address? Yeah I don't know if you yeah, so, I, uh, I, I like to use on that, on that particular one You can use the address where Um you was when you took that debt out if it was your debt um, or if they're reporting in the credit report. It's not even in there. They just sent me a letter. Um, they, they used the letter. That's I can't remember that they address. address on, That's, they, they use, use whatever address that they, that they used in the letter. That's what you're going to do. Any one of the ones that they put in there? Is it what? They got like three different addresses for me, and you know mm-hmm. it happened so long ago. I, I don't know which. Which that? You don't know which one. Which address? I, so would, I have I to use, find out. Yeah, I would use if it was me. I would use the address um, that they have on file. Right. And I'm saying they got three different um, ones. Um, but well, well, well. Here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Or you can just use your current address. That's what I want to. That's what I want to know. Okay. But and do I put it in brackets address, or just put it? It's hmm? in care of. In care of. But if you use the current address, I would. I would preferably have you use a PO box, an address that's not directly connected with where you live at. Okay. Even for this. Okay. Okay. Man, even for. I don't. I personally don't like people knowing where I live at. You know, certain things. What did you say, like, Joe? You know, I said I personally don't like people knowing where I live at, but you know that's um, uh-huh. it's a discretion. Uh-huh. It's a discretionary thing. Okay. Yeah, I go on and get one. Uh-huh. I didn't know I needed for uh, the student loan. Okay. Man, I use and that hmm. Go ahead. You got another question before yes. I move on? Uh, the brackets. Did you? Did you? You got it. You there, Joey? 
I'm here. I'm, I'm waiting on you to ask your question. Okay. Brackets. Do you put the address in brackets? On the, on the, and then hear your answer on that one. You, you can. It doesn't necessarily matter on FCC after that. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. And uh, well, I'll ask you the next. I'll ask you the rest of the questions uh, next time on my on this because uh, I have about three, four more questions on it. Okay. Well, what you just said. I appreciate it. Say again. So just set up a consultation. I need a. I need a. Um, a uh, what you call it? When you get a school, uh, a grant. I need a grant to get a damn consultation. <laughs> you got any grants over there? I, I'm, I'm trying to say, well, I'm gonna. Huh? I'm gonna get one. Home, I know. You got a whole, got a whole husband over there just digging his pocket, telling you need some money. <laughs> I know. I'm working on it. Okay. Oh, baby, I, I appreciate money. it. Well, it's tight over here right now, but I'll work it out. I'm going to get with you soon. All right. All right. Talk to you soon. Okay. Talk, you. All right. Appreciate it. Bye. All right. Let's go to 602-686. Hey. Hello? Hello? Yo? Hello? Hey, you already picked yeah. me, but, uh, you already, you already yeah, answered you me, that. but, uh, yeah, because uh, I, yep, yep. Did you hear the yeah. Um, the info for you. Yeah, yeah, I heard all of it, but I was wondering if I could get in touch with him because, man, any little bit of help helps, you know. No doubt. Well, I'm not gonna give his number out over the air, so you'd have to yeah, set up some time. You know what I mean? Um, and yep. and I could probably connect you with him like that. And then I did use the Arizona Constitution, but it doesn't matter if it's in federal court. No, nah, you can still use the Arizona Constitution. Nah, All right, that was a, a, I was a little stressed about the, that. Here's the thing about it. You may even go now when you're in federal court, and federal court deals with U.S. citizens without a doubt, um, but you may even um, go through that federal constitution. You may find an open court cause in there. Yeah, I just don't have a, uh, I don't have a, uh, uh, not authenticated, but a, uh, what do you call it? Certified copy of, uh, I'm not sure which one to use either. I'm going to be honest with you, though, and I I really don't, I mean, to me, when y'all can't find what y'all looking for, and it's something like that, like an open court, when it only costs, it don't cost that much to get in the court. Just pay the fee. Yeah. Yeah, yep. I go through so much. <laughs> Just pay the fee. It, that's yep, I'm that's I'm learning that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I take police resistance, and with federal yeah. court, I prefer to pay the fee anyways. To be honest with you, if I'm doing a case in federal court, which I've done several, and you do better to pay the fee. Now you can get in the federal court by using that open court affidavit. I know for a fact because I've used it, but a lot of times you can just pay to get in, bro, and and, well, and make I, things so much easier and get your case started. Honestly, it was more about just trying things out, see what works. Oh, you know well, what I mean? experiment, experiment, and keep experimenting. Yeah. I would never knock your experimentation. Yep. 
So, I mean, I, I have the money, I, I, but I really wanted okay to keep it working. Yeah, now, yeah. Um, I mean, the, the affidavit for open court, it does work. That's why that's why we got it on the site. Because it does work. But it, it's going to be up to you to invoke that jurisdiction. Because like, like the guy, like the brother said before, you know, allow you to just come in like that, you got to actually invoke that jurisdiction. There's a difference between that first article court and that third article court. Yep. So, right. <clears throat> I mean, you know. Yeah, go ahead. If they if they make you fill out the form of properties, but they still allow you to come in for free, but they made you attach it as an affidavit, then go in the court. Yeah. Uh, is there any way I could throw out my email for him? Yeah, go ahead. It's uh, F-G-I-L-E-S-13 at Gmail. Okay, cool. Now, no more soliciting on my show, nigga. <laughs> um, no, but I do really appreciate you and... Uh, my kids want to say what's up. They're they're not in bed yet, but say say hey hey Joey, say hey Joey. Hey Joey. <laughs> Hi kids. All right, try to keep them. I'm trying to teach them too while they're young, man. I'm trying to open their eyes. No doubt. All right, Joey. Supposed to be Yep. All right, Joey. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Uh, Ramel, if he was on, brother, hopefully he caught that man's email. Not um, check up on the replay. I don't like giving out people's number over the air. I, I, I don't want nobody to do that to me. So, five zero three eight nine zero. Peace to the God. Peace to the God. Still, uh, I have a couple of questions. Um, uh, I'm not much, man. It's chilling, listening to your show, man. Good show tonight, as always. Thanks. Uh, my, my question is regarding the uh, what is the tax exempt national ID or something like that that you got on your website. Uh, talking to my son about it, but I told him I'd get him get him more information. Huh? Yeah, I haven't talked about that in a while. Go ahead, ask your question. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, how exactly does it work? And uh, when I buy it from, what what is he going to need to do once he get it? And then how does he use it? And where else can he use it at? All right, so a tax exempt nationality ID um, essentially is going to have your national name on it, doing business as your straw man's name. It's going to have all of your national information on there in terms of your nationality, whether you are more or whether you are a European, because I've, I've done them for Europeans as well. Um, and what happens mm-hmm. is, is uh, once you get the exemption, it's a certificate, so you're able to use it. You need, you'll need to, he'll need to laminate it and make sure that he signs it. Uh, when he gets the certificate, he can use it anywhere that he's doing his his shopping at. So, like if, he, if he's going to buy him some Jordans and some clothes for school or mm-hmm. something like that, he can use it there and he can mm-hmm. use the the certificate to get the taxes taken off while he's doing his purchases. Um, you can use it when you're doing stuff online. I've had people who've used it for Amazon, people who've used it for Walmart, um, all types of uh, Now, that is a personal tax exemption. Now, if you want a business exemption for taxes, 
you need to set up an unincorporated association. But it's very effective. Um, I use it. I use mine all the time. I just had this conversation with Joe. Mm-hmm. I said to him, I said, why don't you use yours? Because <laughs> he don't never use his. He was like, I don't really care about twenty, thirty dollars in taxes. Ain't no big deal to me. So for some people, it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. For some people, it's not. Right. You know, um, if you're doing stuff like you got to go to Home Depot and you, you're going to spend, you know, 10 stacks on uh, on uh, hardware, you know, for the house, you know, then, mm-hmm. you know, obviously it's about you know, 10% up. of that is $5 to add up. You know what I mean? Right. So you can save tax. So it, it, and Home Depot is cool because with Home Depot, once you get the exemption number from, from us for Home Depot, you go to Home Depot and you register the number at Home Depot. Home Depot gives you an exemption number through their system that you can now use forever. Hmm. Okay. So and, it's very uh, effective, man. So, so he so uh so whatever store that he would go to and use it, they would have to uh, put it in their system or something like that and you know, get it set up. You so know, in, in their, not every in store Yeah, so so not every store works like that. Like if you go to um, Home Depot, Home Depot obviously they have a system set up where to use an exemption, mm-hmm. they have to issue you, they have to issue you a number through through their system. So they they take your number and then mm-hmm. give you a number. Um, some stores, like um, for instance, um, Trader, Trader Joe's. I don't know if you, you got one in your area, but it's a grocery yeah. store. Yeah, we do. So, so Trader, mm-hmm. okay, so Trader Joe's, you go in, you give them the number. We're already in the system. So once you give them the number, they just pull it up and they give you your exemption because it's in the system. You just show your ID, uh, the certificate, right, which is your identification, and then you show, um, you know, the the number on the certificate, right, and then they pull it up in the system. Now you got some places it's like I went to the Polo Outlet and I purchased some shit, and when I was purchasing stuff, mm-hmm. they didn't have the system, so they had to put me in the system. They had to run the number. And I was good to go. Some places mm-hmm. they just put it in real quick, and taxes come off, and you you you're on your way. So everybody is oh, okay. different. Everybody is different. And I'm gonna be honest. Some places are not okay. equipped to do taxes because they never done it before, right? And so what you tell mm-hmm. them is, hey, listen, this, this is a religious um, exemption. You can tell them it's a tribal exemption, right, or a federal exemption. Mm-hmm. All of that works. All of that mm-hmm. works. Oh, okay. Okay. And I was just, yeah, I think you kind of just answered another question I was going to have about that. Uh, what, so where or under what authority does that particular number come from, the number that would uh, go into the card? Where, where, where does that it comes come from? from? The department. What's the source? Yeah, it comes from the department. From where? You're breaking up. From the Department of State. Oh, oh, okay. Okay, cool, cool, cool. All right, so now this next question, uh, thank you very much for breaking that all down. That was very thorough. That's the most thorough uh, I've ever heard you speak on that. Um, my uh, next question is for me. I'm confused, bruh, about the uh, uh, the different uh, IDs one can use. So such as you get the, uh, the an IDP, uh, a private ID, and or even using a passport. And I'm mainly talking about for traveling purposes. So well, I'm a little confused. Uh, if you use so a passport, you aren't you using your allegiance name? Huh? Mm-hmm. Um, well, it depends. So um, if you've done a legal name change and nationality correction, 
you'll use that name. If if you've done if you haven't, then when you apply for a passport, you use the straw man's name. Um, now mm-hmm. what what happens what happens is, is an IDP and a private ID are used for traveling domestically. And when you travel domestically, mm-hmm. you use the private ID, the foreign private ID. Um, and, th- and that's okay. that's when that, that foreign ID. Is that foreign ID considered like a, a foreign driver's license, or just the private ID? Is it's not a driver's license. It's a foreign driver's license. Oh, okay, okay. Now that clears it up because I know with the IDP uh, in their instructions, they said you, you got to have a driver's license that go with it. So I was like, okay, yes, now that, it's that. Now it's okay. Yeah. yeah All right, I really cleared that up. Okay. Yep, and then when, right. you, when you're traveling abroad, you cannot use stuff like mm-hmm. more simple cards or passport exempt cards. You can't use none of that. When you're trying to travel abroad, you got to have a passport. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, passport that you right, have so you, depends on how mm-hmm. you apply for it. Okay. So let's say you just have a regular passport, right? Just not like most people just go out and get right and i'm traveling and then i show the and i show the i get pulled over i show the officer that and uh does does that passport not put me into the jurisdiction the same as if i had a driver's license because it has my legal yeah, name on it so wouldn't that be the same thing yeah. no no it does not because if, if you have a passport as a national okay and your passport has uh-huh. been designated as such by the department of state <laughs> Okay. Mm-hmm. The Bureau of Consulates—they've designated your passport to be that of a national. Then, when you get pulled over, and if you really you're supposed to give them what they call a passport card, because the card operates like a mm-hmm. driver's license, but you can get a passport too. But when you when they pull you over and they and they run it in their system, it will show what your status is if you had a correct status correction. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, okay. Otherwise, you don't have that. If you don't have that status correction, then you're still in their jurisdiction, right? Yeah, that's what I'm if you don't have that status correction. Okay. Right. They, they do what's known. Okay. They do what's known is a biographical status change. Okay? We're not even supposed to be mm-hmm. talking about this, but that's that's what they do. Okay? And mm. when when they when they do that, you are effectively um depending on whatever material you've given them. You are now in a different jurisdiction. Gotcha. Okay? But it's all delineated mm-hmm. in your passport. But okay. You know. Right. Uh, um. So yes. So 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 that's the whole thing about it, man. When you're moving, um, about and you're traveling, you know, it's all determined. Like you're moving abroad, then you need to have the correct travel documents to travel abroad. If you're mm-hmm. traveling domestic, then you need to have your domestic shit ready to go. Okay. And let me say this to you. When you're traveling domestically, you got to have everything in the trust, man. Trust, trust is, is, man, everything should be in trust, bro. So it's crucial to mm-hmm. keep everything on. You know what I'm saying? To keep it, keeping yourself protected, have your car in trust, have that shit registered under the trust. You have your, your foreign ID on you, your private um, ID and your IDP, you're good to go. 
Okay. Well, I'm good. I mean, man, you definitely answered my question very thoroughly. No, thank you. No doubt. Appreciate you. All right. Um, that's all I got. Peace to the God. Peace to the God. All right. All right. So if y'all were sitting in on the beginning of the show, y'all know I came in a little bit late today. I'm not even going to front with y'all. I was taking a nap. I fucked around overslept. So I normally don't do that, man, but my alarm didn't go off. So I, um, and I had already prepared for the show. I was like, I'm taking a little nap. And boom, I overslept. But anyway, we went overtime. So hopefully, this hour of overtime will have made up for it. For the time we missed. Y'all didn't miss nothing, no way. Y'all know how I do. I play clips. So I'm going to say peace to the guys. Make sure you tune in tomorrow morning. Wake with our set. She'll be on in the morning. She'll be dropping that hot fire when it comes to your spiritual awakening. Make sure you tune in. Awake with our set. Every Monday morning, 10 a.m. Eastern. All right. My man Jonah Bay will be here with us on. Actually, I don't think Jonah may or may not be on with us on Friday because I think he's got a seminar. Yeah, he's got a seminar coming up. Um, so I'll be on Friday. Make sure y'all tune in Friday. Open for on Friday. And um, go to makemorecommerce.com. That's M-A-K-E-M-O-O-R. Commerce.com. Set up a consultation with me. Or just check out some of the products. It may help your life. Right? We're going into 2019. I really hope that y'all are preparing. Get your remedy. Because we're all about remedy. That's that's really where, where this is at. Right? And don't believe something I tell you. Go back and study it. Keep studying it. Really, you know, this is really where this thing starts. <clears throat> it starts from you doing your research. Fuck what I got to tell you. No, go do your research, and then you'll see what what I'm saying is true. I've been doing this for like ten years. I, I know it to be true. I've used the the resources, and the remedies on my own. Whole life change, ten years. So you can you can also do that. Alright? I'm gonna say peace to the gods, make more get with me. We'll be in Atlanta at the end of the month. Wanna come out to Atlanta for our New Year's ritual, come out and celebrate with us. We'll be at the Rich Carlton. We'll be doing our New Year's money ritual. Hope to see y'all there. Also, going into the new year, I'll have uh, New York, Philly, and Atlanta will be the next coming up seminar. On my end for the Freedom Seminar. So if you're interested in coming out to New York, Philly, or Atlanta, get with me and make sure you check for the dates. MakeMoreCommerce.com, okay? Alright, we're up out of here. I'm going to take y'all with a clip and we out. Peace.
And why do I say that? Because after 46 years and teaching you morons for 23 years, you want to take the easy way out. Because you think life is a journey. That is horseshit. Life's a journey if you're a moron and you're retarded. That's why, you know, that's what, that's what you've done with the life up here to four. It's been a journey. And how good is the fucking journey? You tell me. Wouldn't you have rather, when the first time you went out with somebody that you thought you were in love with, thought is the operative word, wouldn't you have lied to have a, a template? Oh, let's follow this process instead of, because that is a journey. And all the mistakes you made and raising this fucking little shithead for kids you got instead of having this book. Life doesn't have to be a journey. It's a journey for morons. You think life is a journey for the Trump kids? It's a motherfucking process, the same process his daddy raised him by. Same for me. Life ain't a journey if you're my kid. It's a goddamn process. So you tell me if you're results oriented at all, who's better off, the journey or the process? And for the most part, most people in this room and most people listening on YouTube have to come to the realization, as sad as it is, that you have pissed you have urinated heretofore up until this morning your entire life down a fucking shithole. Very simple. That's it. If you want to create massive wealth. If you just want to be a happy, slappy housewife from fucking Dundee or a happy, slappy bimbo from fucking Toronto or a happy, slappy guy who goes to the Little League games and Mesa, Arizona, then that's okay. But if you want to create some fucking money, and money's not everything, but if you don't money, think money can buy happiness, you don't know where to fucking shop. Say that with an Irish accent. Okay. If, <laughs> if you don't think money can buy happiness, you don't know where to shop. If you don't think money can buy happiness, you don't know where to shop. Correct. <laughs> uh, correct. And, but I mean, you can get money and then go save the world. You can get money and save the forests in Brazil. You make money and go save global warming, which I don't believe in. You can, I mean, and save the, uh, the kids in Biafra and all that shit. But without money, you can't save a fucking thing. Don't you understand? Don't the fucking idiots on YouTube understand that? Until you make some shekels. Until you make some fucking coin. You can't help anybody. Because if love got the job done, you wouldn't all be fucked up. And I've had mothers, daughters, grandfather, daughter, uh, son. I've run three generations of the gamut in this seminar here. And they all say the exact same thing. The daughter looks to the mother, you fucked me up. The, the mother looks to the father, you fucked me up. And they all agree. And where it really gets dicey is the second or, three day, second or third days after they have a few drinks, a few pops. Then it, gets, it can get fucking ugly, as Sally would say. 
fucking ugly. Nothing like a mother to turn on her daughter or vice versa. Nothing like it. It's like in the fucking movies. It's like a goddamn soap opera. Because that's life. And if we admit it to ourselves, then we have an opportunity to move on. If we don't, then we're just fucked in the quagmire. 